Yeah. There's so much stuff in my box today. This is always going to come off the wall. Good evening. Welcome to the Petaluma City Council Chambers, Monday, August 5th, 5.30 p.m. As the City Council prepares to go to close, close session, would the clerk please call roll. Harris? Here. Kearney? Here. Barrett? Here. Glass? Here. Albertson? Here. Healy? Here. Miller? Here. And if the attorney would please provide legal notice for closed session. I'd be happy to, Mr. Mayor. Thank you. The council will confer in closed session regarding a number of matters. Um, the first is under government code section, actually the first, how many of them? One, two, three, four. The first four are um, existing litigation under government code section 54956.9A. Those cases are Holland DeLil and Richard Scaffers of the city of Petaluma. Um, that is a district court case. It's number um, uh, three, 11-CV-0200, I'm sorry, 0-2088-JCS. The next is um, Peter Leobel and Susan Gale, Gilmore versus City of Petaluma. That's Superior Court Case SCV-252234. The next is um, City of Petaluma versus Anameto Santos, um, Sacramento County Superior C Court Case 34-2012-801321. The next is City of Petaluma versus Anameto Santos, um, also Sonoma County Superior Court Case 34-2013-801459. Um, the next matter is under Government Code Section 54956.8 um, uh, regarding um, direction to real property negotiators that regards assessor's parcels numbers 00703104 and 00703105. It's the fairgrounds property. The agency negotiators are John Brown and Ingrid Alverde. The negotiating parties are Patricia Conklin and Joe Barquette. Under negotiation are instructions to negotiators concerning price terms and terms of payment. Finally, the council will confer with legal counsel regarding anticipated litigation under government code section 54956.9b. That's related to one potential case. Thank you. Public comment is hereby opened and subsequently closed with no one in the chambers to address the council on closed session items. And with that, we're adjourned to closed session. Good evening, welcome to the Petaluma City Council meeting, 7 p.m. session for Monday night, August 5th. If the clerk would please call roll. Harris? Here. Kearney? Here. Barrett? Here. Glass? Here. Albertson? Here. Healy? Here. Miller? Here. Starting a little bit late tonight. We've been in closed session. Uh, we will be adjourning this evening's meeting in the memory of Ray Johnson and also George Russo. And with that, we'll go to the Pledge of Allegiance. If Mr. Danley would be kind enough to lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance. nation 
under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. If we could have a moment of silence, please, for Mr. Johnson and Mr. Russo. Thank you. Uh, tonight we'll take the agenda right as it's presented. Uh, with that, we have a proclamation this evening. Council Member Healy will present this proclamation. I believe Leslie Ruland is here to accept. And the proclamation reads as follows. City of Petaluma proclaims National Payroll Week, September 1 through September 7, 2013. Whereas taxpayers and businesses contribute millions of dollars to the state and federal treasuries through payroll taxes each year. And whereas through the payroll withholding tax system, America's workers contribute, collect, report and deposit approximately $1.7 trillion, or 71.8% of the annual revenue of the U.S. Treasury. And whereas the taxes collected provide the needed funding for important projects, including roads, schools, parks, and support the Social Security and Medicare programs. And whereas the theme of National Payroll Week is America Works because we're working for America, which recognizes the important contributions of 156 million wage earners who work to support the American dream, and highlights the partnership between taxpayers and payroll professionals and the United States Treasury. And whereas as stated by former President Bill Clinton, by honoring hardworking Americans across our nation and underscoring the vital importance of payroll taxes to our country's strength and security, National Payroll Week helps foster growth and prosperity for our entire nation. Now therefore be it resolved that I, David Glass, Mayor of the City of Petaluma, along with each member of the Petaluma City Council, do hereby proclaim September 1 through 7, 2013 as National Payroll Week and join in celebrating the contributions of all workers in the United States and thank the payroll professionals who report these workers' earnings, collect their taxes, and pay their wages. And if you'd like to address the uh, City Council, Ms. Rulin, that would be fine. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Council Members. We really appreciate uh, the fact that you've recognized the importance and the value of American wage earners, wage earners in our community, and the payroll pra practitioners who help pay the taxes timely and accurately every payroll cycle. So uh, we are actually hosting a party in conjunction with uh, American Payroll Association and many other independent payroll companies and also the big nationals nationwide uh, September the 4th. And we'd love to have you come join us if you're in the community. Um, it's at our offices in Novato uh, called AccuChecks in Belmar and Keys. So thank you very, very much. Uh, we're really excited about just getting the word out and the importance of, of the payroll function. Uh, we're, we're starting a campaign for financial literacy for teenagers and a couple of other really kind of neat programs out there to teach people how they can better use their paychecks and continue to contribute to uh, what makes America work. So thank you very much. Thank you. With that, we're on to uh, general public comment, Aidan Kadshani will be leading it off uh, this evening to be followed by Peter Cherniff. Good evening, Mr. Kashani. Good evening. Thank you. Hi, I'm Aiden Kashani. 
I'm nine years old. I moved here to Petaluma with my family from San Francisco last year. Petaluma is my home now, and I care about my home. I represent the future. Let me talk to you about the future. The future is in composting. Some people may think composting is a waste of time, but let me tell you, they are incorrect. Last year at Grant Elementary, I started composting at lunchtime. Every day I would wheel out the green carts and say in the middle of the quad where the kids ate. I worked with the students and told them which things went in which bin and sorting trash and compost. So the process is not too difficult and it's not limited to yard waste going into the big green bins. It should actually start in your kitchen. Petaluma Refuse and Recycling provides free compost service to all Sonoma County residents. So, you can keep compostable food scraps and other material like dead flowers in a pail under your sink. Then when it gets full, dump it in your big green bin and set out with your other bins. On collection day, the truck will come and pick it up. It'll take it to the compost plant, where worms and bacteria will break down the matter, and as a result, you will get compost soil. Please never, ever, ever throw meat or dairy into the compost bin, because it tends to attract rats at the compost plant. So, if you compost, thank you. Keep up the good work. If you don't, you can begin now. It's as easy as that. I did it. You can do it. It's all about sustainable living. It's about the future. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Mayor. Mr. Albertson. We just saw Gabe Kearney the early years. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Kashani, thank you, thank you for being here. We, we broke a rule. Okay, we don't applaud and we don't hiss. We we just accept the public comment. But it was a pleasure to break that rule because you were exceptional. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All right, we're going to go on with our public comment and go on with our meeting. Thank you, Mr. Kashani, and we'll try to compost. Okay, Peter Chernoff to be followed by um, Mike Fry. Tough act to follow. Boy, is it ever a tough act to follow. Well, I'm going to comment, uh, first of all, I think I want Eden, I'm going to try and recruit him onto my uh, team here. And I listened to this story on taxes and for America, and that's all a pretty good idea, but uh, I think we need to compost the usurious bankers. And uh, one last thought before I start my little run is uh, that the firefighters, I believe, uh, would be well served if they were to receive armored vests in this city. So I go, uh, freedom and liberty. The national, bet, national debt being based on deception and uh, murder I hereby erase. Jerry Banker Broker Brown seeks to federalize first the police department in Oakland town. He considers himself as do Bush, Clinton, and Obama to be royal as he works behind the scenes to push for California coast oil. Jerry fancies himself quite the snake charmer as he floods California with China, China's Monsanto-laced uh, foods undermining our farmers. Back in 98, he promoted New Age, Green, and Radical Politics. Then he ordered the cops to literally shoot down the longshoreman strike as one of his tricks. 
He's covered up murder, drugs, gun running in the Cabazon case. The great California freedom strike shuts down the banks and goodbye to Jerry the double face. So too goodbye to Pelosi and Feinstein who support NSA terror and their San Francisco friend in arms, NSA General Aquino, this truth presented, be free of error. These money changers run all the mainstream media, both sides of the fence. The freedom strike, but a breath away, ceasing all payments to the system, both mortgages and rents. For the 200-year planned, carefully plotted, makes these bankers the ultimate crooks, along with an electrified atmosphere and big pharma delivering double hooks. Brainwashing, smart meters, Google Glass, internet, iPads, got most on their arse. With embedded messaging via subliminal symphonics, double hooked up with pain pills, maintaining flaccid subservience, yes, the American spirit be severely chilled. Comes now an army amassed never to know defeat, so saith I, I am Cactus Pete. From all directions comes now the insurrection. Amassed have I the forces coming forth on almighty forces to shut down the west coast till this corruption is toast. Federal taxes are history, so too greed and war. Say goodbye to the slaughterhouse, so too the corporate store. Come ye forth, beautiful and alive. Welcome home, the Cuban Five. Jamal, Bradley Manning, Leonard Peltier, warriors arisen free of all fear. This fuse has been lit to start. We cease every face of mammon for a thousand years by striking with Bart. Everybody here, everyone has a reason to join the strike with Bart. We have no reason to consider uh, Jerry Brown anything more than someone that's on his way out. Um, we have the authority to make these changes, and uh, what's been going on requires all our heart and our love, and we will be backed up from beyond and above. Thank you. I said it, you heard it, so be it. Thank you. Thank you. Mike Fry to be followed by Richard Braun. Hi, I'm Mike Fry. I'm with the... Uh with the uh, Sonoma County Surfrider Foundation. And I'm here to uh, talk in support of the uh, plastic bag ban that you guys will be voting on sometime soon. Um, we've, we've talked to the, the city or the county uh, waste management agency meetings in most of the cities around the county about this. Many wild animals are killed due to ingestion or entanglement of the plastic. Because plastic bags are so light, they easily escape from the landfills and become litter even after proper disposal. There's no logical explanation why we should continue using over 200 million plastic bags per year in Sonoma County landfills. Public concern regarding contamination of the recyclable bags is uh, unfounded. If you wash them, you're fine. If you don't eat uh, your raw food out of them, you're probably fine as well. Uh, the plastic bags, um, the, the big thing about the ban now is that the, the paper bags would be the ones to use. There will be a 10 cent charge for those. And that's mainly so that you don't have to fight the plastics uh, companies afterwards um, because they tend to sue the communities afterward after they bag the plastic bans. We once lived without plastic bags and we can do it again. I'm here to encourage everyone to step forward and help preserve and protect what we have to share here in Sonoma County. Thanks. Thank you. Richard Braun to be followed by Catherine Babowski. Good evening. Are we on? Yeah. Good evening. Um, I think uh, the last uh, council meeting was the third um, presentation about the roads in six years. Um, and the question is, 
So what are you going to do about it? The past six years uh, since the great decline in 2007 has been painful and depressing, but none so painful as watching the city council act like the pointy-haired manager in the comic strip Dilbert. Ordinary people change their budget priorities, but not city council. City council adamantly refuses to go back to reassess why it even exists. If it did, it would discover that it exists to centrally manage those things we as individuals and as a, a community cannot do without, like roads. This city council dangles a stupid notion that sometime in the future some city council will pay all the bills run up by the present and past city councils. How about giving us a date when that future city council will be rolling in enough money to even pay off the bills run up by the present city council. Payoff has not happened since 1858 when the city was founded. And each year the city accumulated, accumulates more unpaid bills. With the close of the last fiscal year, city council had accumulated unpaid bills of somewhere between 180 and 130 million dollars, but miraculously balanced its budget. So where are all those bills buried? Well, let's say you run a truck company with 540 trucks, that's the same number of lane miles, in Petaluma. To pay more employee benefits, you stop repairing trucks. You know, just like the city council is doing with roads. Eventually, all 540 trucks break down, just like the city roads. Then, where's the money to repair the trucks, or for that matter, Petaluma roads, going to come from? Where's that money going to come from? And what will happen to the promised retirement when the economy is strangled? But with the city, the budget time rolls around and lo and behold, the accumulated road repair has just disappeared, evaporated. And on city council, there's a big silence as private political calculations are made. Everyone knows the bill is colossal, but they want, they want their own spending funded. So where did all those bills for the roadway repair go? Okay, follow the logic. City Council does not have anyone tracking the accumulation of roadway deterioration. So there's no documentation. Without documentation, repair costs do not exist. And presto, the budget balances. I'll leave it to somebody else to characterize that logic, but it's just too painful to think that people managing public roads for a $6 billion enterprise called Petaluma consider that kind of accounting trick just incredibly smart. Thank you. Catherine Babowski. Yes, my name is Catherine Babrowski. I live in the Littlewoods Villa Mopart. That park does not have a responsible on-site manager and does not have a responsible management. Yesterday, this went on, uh, started like 5.30 in the morning, continued on the most 11.30 at night. Uh, one of the residents there is related to the same bunch has been vandalizing the park in there. They come into my place, stock my place, even kicking balls in my place, hitting my mohome, throwing rocks in my mohome, coming right up to my window, yelling and screaming into my window. Trespass out of my home side private. I called the officer to come out. The officer did show up finally. He came about four times. The first time he came out, he just went over, kind of like congratulate them and having a good time with them and uh, showing his uh, car, flash and light. He didn't tell them to stay off my place. 
So I call again because they were hitting my house, purposely hitting my house, yelling, screaming my window. So the officers, he came out uh, again the last time. He told me I'm supposed to allow them to be hitting my mobile home, trespassing on my home side property, hitting my place. Comes me, picking inside my window, yelling, screaming in my window. And I said, well, why don't you go talk to another victim? Uh, victim, He'd like to talk to you too, which said you're there. The officer didn't want to do that. And like this morning, this is what they were throwing at my house. Rock, how would you like to have this be thrown at your house? This goes on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And also to the officer said too, I said when they were blasting their music, full blast is shaking my whole place, even at 1130 at night, uh, two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, screaming in my window. Am I supposed to be loud now? He goes, oh yes, you're supposed to be loud now at five o'clock in the morning. He says, you're not supposed to call the police. He says, no crime for them to be hitting your place, vandalizing your place, peeking inside your windows. And he says, they will never arrest the suspects at all, period. You need, I said, what good is having a police officer if they're not arresting the suspects for vandalizing people's homes and home sites? Do something about this. And also I'm telling you, city council, contact me, myself and other residents, uh, victims have contact the management to get a responsible manager there to put a stop this, this crime in there. They have that, they, have, they refuse to get a responsible on-site manager. Do something, maybe, maybe, you get, maybe you get better response from us, from them. Because we tried, my, the other victim, they were throwing, like, throwing rocks at his house. They could actually go up to the guy's doorstep, throwing rocks at his door. And another one, they, they're picking us on the guy's window. This goes on, like I said, 24, and then on top of that, they speed in there, they speed out there, and many times there's vehicles parked on the fire lane for hours and hours and hours. Plus, we got abandoned vehicles in the back in the parking lot. Nobody's doing anything about that. Do something about this park. Thank you so much. Excuse me, sir. We're not going to have yelling out from the chamber. If you want to address the council, I got time for one more public comment. If you'd like to do that, step forward, state your name. Uh, but we need to get whatever is said into the record. Mayor Glass, City Council Members, I'm Terry Hilton. Some of you know me from the World Boxing Hall of Fame. I'm on the Board of Directors, and I am also the chair of the, the uh, <clears throat> Self-Esteem Living Foundation, uh, which is a nonprofit uh, established 27 years ago to enhance self-esteem, personal social responsibility of kids in uh, Sonoma County. I came here tonight to, to uh, say a couple of things. One plastic bags. I just heard it. I didn't plan on saying anything, but I had the uh, pleasure of working with Assemblyman Levine, and he is working on the, uh, the state measure. I, I'm not sure if he's already passed uh, uh, legislation or where, where it's at, but on uh, banning pl uh, plastic bags. So uh, I, I applaud him for that. Uh, I also would like to thank uh, Councilman uh, Michael Harris for helping us bring two businesses into town. One, fruit ice cream. You're all invited to come down and have an ice cream on, on me uh, and, the, and the owner. Uh, it is a Mexican ice cream and when you taste that you'll never have an American again. Also, Wingstop restaurants. Uh, Wingstop, both of these businesses are operating out of the Plaza North. Uh, it's, they're gonna be a, they'll be an asset to Petaluma for sure. 
and finally for uh, his help, invaluable uh, help in bringing back, well, let me straighten that, not back, bringing the world's arm wrestling championship back to Petaluma. Uh, not wrist wrestling, arm wrestling. Uh, it, most of you know uh, I did work on uh, 19 years with Bill Sabranis on that event and uh, and uh, now my health has gotten back good enough to where we're going to fire it up again and want to thank uh, Councilman Harris for sitting and talking with us and all, through all the planning. Thank you, Councilman. Thank, thank you. you, Mr. Hilton. Good to see you again. With that, public comment is hereby closed. And with that, we will go to uh, council comment. Councilmember Barrett. Okay, thank you. Um, I have a number of things. Um, may not have had city council meetings, but I've had a lot of other meetings. Um, I just want to start off by reading a notice that was received in my PG&E bill. Um, and this is apropos of the Sonoma Clean Power. It says, on July 1st, Pacific Gas and Electric submitted an application to the uh, PUC to collect $6.4 million from PG&E customers over the period 2014 to 16 to cover costs associated with PG&E's recent purchase of the Hercules Municipal Utility assets. Hercules uh, Municipal Utilities is a municipal electric utility that had been owned and operated by the city of Hercules since March of 2003. Once the purchase is complete, PG&E intends to provide electric service to all customers formerly served by HMU. I'm just reading this because I think it is uh, something that we need to keep in mind as we look at Sonoma Clean Power and make sure that if we're going to go down this road that we have all the answers to the questions about the fiscal responsibility and underpinnings of, of Sonoma Clean Power before we move forward so we don't find ourselves in that situation. Um, so I just want that for public information. <clears throat> Uh, as the LAFCO representative, I just want to announce that this uh, Southern Sonoma County RCD and the Sotoyomi RCD merger was approved and finalized. So now there's just one, well, there's two uh, RCDs in Sonoma County, and but Petaluma does not have its own anymore, but we still have a field office here. Uh, and that works with um, Zone 2A a lot. So on the Tree Advisory Committee, I think I have bad news for everybody, and that is uh, that regarding the redwood tree health on Center Park, we've done, we actually had an arborist come out and do very extensive uh, root crown probing uh, with a ristograph uh, and excavated the roots of the northernmost tree 16 inches below the current grade. The tree was found to be in profoundly failing condition with extensive root and, and vascular tissue loss, as well as exhibiting very little resistance, suggesting extensive deterioration of support tissues needed to keep the tree erect, i.e. not to fall. Uh, the committee unanimously voted to approve the arborist's recommendation uh, of total removal of that particular tree. It was recommended to remove the tree 
the recommendation was for the city to remove it at its earliest convenience because there there is an issue about it. So um, I'm I'm sure that uh, Mr. D. Nicola will be bringing that to the staff if he hasn't already. Um, and we're also the tree committee is also enlisting the help of both uh, Supervisor Rabbit and our SCTA rep, Councilmember Harris, uh, to get for Petaluma an inventory of the number, type, and location of trees removed as part of the 101 widening project. Uh, we have been trying to get this information for quite a while through our staff to staff, uh, and that has proved to be uh, unsuccessful. And both Caltrans and SCTA have indicated that they have that data, but um, several requests by the city have gone unheeded, and so we want to bring in the muscle of our electives. So um, hopefully we can we can get that uh, because that would be it's really important for us to know what has been removed, so that after the widening there is there are mitigations that need to be made and we won't be able to document the mitigations without knowing what's been removed so in advance i will thank you for that received um okay for the library jpa which i'm your representative to, to um the jpa committee is closing in on a draft of the new jpa agreement for the county library system and its commission um, it's been made very clear to the members, me and the other people from the different cities and the county, that as soon as we get the draft, we're to make it available to our city attorney and city manager so that it can have a legal and policy review. I think everybody, maybe you don't know, but I think you know we, we have known this at one time, that it needs unanimous approval if we are going to change the JPA for the Library Commission. So that means at least four people on the, this every city, or three for those that only have five, have to approve the changes. So when I do get the draft, I would like to make it available to everybody on the council to look at it as soon as possible because uh, staff made it really clear they do not want to be going down the wrong road. And we've had a lot of talk about it, but it really has been at that commission level. And it hasn't really been a lot. They're trying to get it to be the topic of, of Thursday night's mayors and council members meeting, but I don't know if they were successful in doing that. But if we're going to be attending it, which I think most of us are since it's here in Petaluma, it may be the topic there. But at any rate when we get this draft it is really important that we all look at it and make sure that this is something that we feel is the way we want to go forward and if it isn't point out where you know make the changes as soon as we can and you can either make them to me or there is a website that we can just send them into which is either way is fine um, in our local library uh, everything is going well uh, we are updating our library bylaws and on Labor Day, the circulation desk is going to be reconfigured to provide both an ergonomically superior station for the checkouts, and they're going to be introducing self-checkout at the library. Uh, on Zone 2A, uh, a presentation was made at Zone 2A, and I apologize. I'm going to give you, everybody a copy of a letter I received, a memo I received, and it's it's got my notes, which I tried to black out, and there's a copy for the attorney and the city clerk as well, and manager. Um, because 
It is about stormwater phase two municipal separation storm service systems general permit summary. And it was a presentation made by our department head, Dan St. John, uh, and written by Lena Cox from our uh, public works and utilities department. And I think the idea of the presentation at Zone 2A was um, with the hopes that Zone 2A will become a funder of what has become an expansion of the duties that the city has to perform for its uh, stormwater maintenance and, and um, it is something that is going to cost a lot more money and uh, some of these um, some of these pro uh, requirements all of them are unfunded uh, some of them have to be implemented within two years 54 percent of them have to be implemented within two years and the rest within five years so uh, Zone 2A has a lot of calls on its money, as everybody else does, and I don't know what the feeling is uh, on the Zone 2A board about funding this work. I don't even know how much it costs. But in light of the fact that we had a stormwater workshop, I was really surprised to find out that these things took place as of July 1st. And um, while they were mentioned in the workshop, I don't think the urgency at least came through to me. So uh, I would like everybody to have that memo and, and I'd like it on the, on the city website if possible. And I know you can get a cleaner version than, than what I've submitted to you. Uh, but I was taking notes as I was going. But um, so that, that was something I thought was very important, especially in light of our 5D discussion tonight about whether or not we're gonna talk about polling for a tax in the city. So, um, You'd think that would be it, but it isn't. Um, Bay Area Air Quality Management District um, is, um, okay, I'm the representative on that. And the first thing I'd like to do is Bay Area, like the city who re uh, recognizes our employees for long-term service to the city, Bay Area Air Quality Management District recognized long-term employee of 40 years of work at the Air District, and it is the the person is a Petaluma resident, Cliff Sinello. So I was very proud to be able to be there while he was being recognized. And um, you know, it's really good that we have someone with that kind of background and knowledge in our town. Uh, the most locally relevant item in the Air District's plate recently has been the institution of a $98 open burn fee in agricultural areas that has had some backlash. It also became effective July 1st. And while this doesn't really affect the city, um, many people have contacts with people right outside the city who do regular burns and they won't be able to do that anymore or they're gonna have to pay more in order to do it. The district is trying to get more funding for its pilot chipping program, which they're doing in Napa now, where they're redirecting people who are doing agricultural burns to doing chipping on site. So hopefully that will be more advertised and um, people will be able to take advantage of that. And Park and Rec, luckily we haven't met um, because that would be another report, but we're having our first meeting on Wednesday with our new commissioners that we uh, put in in June. And we will be having our annual field trip and meeting. So thank you. No, thank you. I mean, that is a, the reports are concise. The number of meetings that you've gone to in representing this community and this region 
it is a phenomenal amount of work and so thank you mr kearney uh i i serve on far less committees unfortunately so uh Tran you have a job <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I do work uh, uh so uh, not that this isn't working in and of itself. Anyway, uh, so I sit on the, uh, the California League of Cities Transportation Committee, uh, the Transportation Policy Advisory Committee, and uh, I was uh, selected as one of the lucky folks to be working on the disability pla Disabled Parking Placard Subcommittee. So what we're tasked with doing is looking at how we can uh, tighten up the, the laws in regards to disability placard and its abuse, uh, and looking at how we can just make it so it, you know, there's there's a lot of abuses going on. I, I know there's been a couple of the uh, news shows have had had the in investigative reporting, uh, especially in San Francisco, on employees that you know will park their car with a disability placard and then sprint to their office because it, they're late for work or whatever. So, you know, looking at at it, tightening up the laws a little bit and making recommendations to the the state legislature on how we can uh, improve upon. Uh, the placard laws and uh, improve upon upon that process. So um, I know uh, myself and I think the mayor are attending the League of California Cities conference next month, and uh, we'll be w discussing that a little bit more there. Uh, and our transportation committee is a uh, meeting next week for the the city of Petaluma, uh, I believe next week. Uh, so that's it. Thank you, Mr. Harris. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, this year I was lucky in my appointments, and uh, the Sonoma County Transportation Authority does a meeting again until September 9th. The, uh, uh, the, the Youth Commission is dark during the summer because the youth are obviously not in school, and uh, the Tech com Committee doesn't meet until September 25th, so I have no updates tonight. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Miller. I just have one update. Uh, this morning I went to the uh, WACTAC meeting. And we had a presentation on the 20-gallon challenge, which is the um, conservation campaign. And essentially what it is is we're trying to do a reduction of uh, 20 gallons per day. Um, the average is 120 gallons per person per day, but um, it's fairly simple to cut out an additional 20 gallons. Um, so for more information on that challenge, you can go to 20gallons.org. Um, they're doing lots of promotion of the program at the fair. Uh, you, there's a contest and a pledge, and if you enter the contest and sign the pledge, you get one of these um, water bottles that I brought to show everybody tonight. Um, so that was one of the presentations that we heard. And then the other thing that we talked about is um, water supply analysis on potential projects. Um, and there are several of those in Petaluma that will um, result in a tremendous amount of water savings to the city. Um, three of those right now with recycled water that we have going on are Wiseman Park, which is already done. Um, the airport park, which is right next to Wiseman Park and is scheduled to come online this week. And then Prince Park, which is across East Washington from the airport park, kind of in the same general area, which is expected to come online next week. Um, the other thing that we've done is Lucchese has been converted to non-potable well water. Um, so that's another tremendous savings for the city. And um, two more projects that are scheduled in the next couple of years, Casa Grande High School um, to recycled water, and that's scheduled for 2013-2014. And then the Southgate um, project um, is scheduled uh, for recycled water for landscaping 2014-2015. And... Um, 
That's it. We've got a pedestrian and bicycle advisory committee, but not until this Wednesday night, and then a planning commission meeting next Tuesday night. So the WACTAC mm -hmm. is the only one that I have to report this evening. Thank you. Councilmember Healy. Uh, just briefly, first of all, I want to <clears throat> thank Councilmember Miller for covering WAC this morning. I appreciate that. Um, I did attend a couple weeks ago. I, was, I think I was invited to this because I'm your alternate on SCTA. Um, a meeting that was uh, talking about incentivizing people to utilize transit um, um, more heavily than they do. Um, and I think I was the only local elected who even showed up, but it was very interesting discussion. Staff from a variety of agencies were there. Um, one of the things that uh, I was made aware of that I had not heard of before is what's being referred to as uh, Senate Bill 1339, and that may be something that Councilmember Barrett is familiar with uh, at uh, the Air Quality District, but there's a pilot program uh, throughout the Bay Area over the next few years where employers with 50 or more employees, both private and public, will be required to put in place incentives to uh, encourage their employees to either bicycle or carpool or, or ride transit, and there's a menu of things that folks can choose from, but uh, kind of wish that uh, we had Smart up and running uh, for that program, but, you know, we'll make do, and um, I, I would hope that the city can can be proactive on this and uh, be a, a, a resource for, for the employers in our community uh, as, as, uh, as SB 1339 rolls out. That's all I have for today. Thank you. Uh, Vice Mayor Albertson. Nothing this evening. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you. Um, I want to address the community concerning this um, casino issue. We are challenged economically, and I do think at times, if I could buy uh, the Argus editorial advice for what it's worth and sell it for what they think it's worth, uh, we could address a lot of our financial shortfalls. Um, I just want this community to know that I've had a number of discussions with a number of the players, as has, I believe, Mr. Healy, City Manager John Brown, City Attorney Eric Danley, and I know on a number of occasions I have briefed Mr. Danley and Mr. Brown, and occasionally have briefed Vice Mayor Albertson and Mr. Healy on discussions that I've had uh, concerning this issue. So I have had numerous uh, discussions with Harvey Hopkins, the tribal ch chairman of the Pomo tribe. Uh, I've had numerous discussions with elected leaders and their representatives, uh, from Diane Feinstein's office to Mark Levine to Jared Huffman to David Rabbit to Lois Welk, and we'll continue to do so. And uh, later in the month, I'm sure that we will go up uh, and meet with the county supervisors. On Friday, I uh, was fortunate enough to engage with uh, Greg Saris. We had about a 45-minute conversation that ended very friendly uh, with his encouragement for us to stay in touch. Mr. Saris is an expert in this area and did not think, for instance, that the strategy of a legal defense fund was the path that we needed to go. It was rather making sure that we made all of the players involved aware that Petaluma does not want a casino uh, on its southern boundary and that uh, we w are going to pursue that path to every extent. We have it on the agenda uh, with a letter that Mr. Healy has crafted that will come up later tonight. Uh, so nobody is asleep at the wheel here. Uh, we are looking at this as a serious issue. And uh, the discussions that I've had with Mr. Hopkins from the Pomo tribe uh, have indicated that 
personally, he has not wanted to see a casino come to the South County. Uh, I'm not so naive personally as to think that that's the end of the discussion right there. There's a good deal of concern and anyone sitting in a position as mayor of the town uh, that has a potential of land being applied to taken into trust would have to have that concern. I wasn't born yesterday, uh, not by a long shot. So. We will continue to explore this path and we will continue to go down a path that makes sense for Petaluma and I'm committed to try to keep open channels of communication with Mr. Hopkins and Mr. Saris and it is of course very easy for me to have open communications to our elected leaders in higher offices and we will continue to do that as will members of our staff and no doubt the members of this Petaluma City Council. There's no division here on this uh, issue and what we look for going forward. So with that, that's Mayor's report, Mr. Brown. Okay. Uh, with that, we're on to uh, report out of closed session, Mr. Danley. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. There is no reportable action tonight. Thank you. We're on to item 1A, which is um, approval of minutes for the Petaluma Regular City Council PCDSA meeting of Monday, July 15th. If there are no uh, amendments suggested by the council, they'll be adopted as submitted. With that, uh, all in favor say aye. 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 Without objection, minutes are adopted. We're on to approval of the proposed agenda for the next uh, Petaluma City Council meeting, which, uh, as is the tradition, to hold it to one meeting in August. And so the next meeting that will be scheduled will be Monday, September 9th. Um, and with that, you have a proposed agenda for the uh, September 9th meeting in front of you. Is there a motion for that? So moved, Mr. Mayor. Second. We have a motion by Mr. Kearney, a second by Mr. Harris. All in favor say aye. 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 Okay, that's adopted. We're on to the next item of business, which is item three, which is the consent calendar. I do not have any speaker cards on the consent calendar. I need to uh, alert the public that items a, B, and C as part of the consent calendar conceivably would be approved in one motion. Councilmember Barrett. Um, I would like to make that motion with the um, single change to item 3B of the date uh, on the second to the last page is July 15th um, on line 28. Introduced and ordered, posted. I don't know if it, if it was posted on that date, if that's okay. I, I, I don't know if that's correct or not. Mr. Danley? I'm sorry, I was receiving I'm that sorry. item from Okay, so the Pelican. final, the, on the final sentence of the... Um, uh, Line 28 of the second to last page of item 3A, it says the, the was posted, I don't know if it's posted or published, I mean it just, oh. since that date is in the past, is that the right date? That's the correct date and okay, it, it was posted, All right. not then published. As, as written, I will make the motion. Okay. I'll second. Okay, so we have a motion and a second. Before we vote, I need to open it up to public comment. Is there anyone in the chamber that wishes to address the council on items on the consent calendar? That's item 3A, 3B, and 3C, because those items are all part wrapped up in one vote. We have a motion and a second. Seeing no one rise in the chamber to address the council, public comment is hereby closed. And if there is no further discussion, we'll vote on the consent calendar items 3A, B, and C uh, now. Consent calendar items are adopted unanimously. 
With that, we are on to item 4A. The council members have ballots in front of them. Uh, this is appointments to various committees and commissions. We may have some of the applicants uh, in attendance. I don't know. The first one I would like to vote for, just take it top to bottom the way it is on your packet, is uh, Animal Services Advisory Committee. There is one vacancy for a three-year term that expires on June 30th of 2016. So if council members would like to fill that out. Is there any applicant here that would like to address the council or anyone else from the public that would like to address the council on any of these appointments? Because the time to do it for all of the appointments. This is item 4A. I'm going to open up public comment right now. Is there anyone wanting to step forward and address the council? If so, step up and say your piece. Hello, good evening. Thank you, Mayor and City Council members. My name is Susan Takami, and I have submitted my name for the Animal Services position. And I just wanted to introduce myself and let you know that I'm very interested in this position. I care about all of the animals in the city, and I care about the city health in regard to other animals that may need additional services. I did serve on the Youth Commission um, for two years um, in the past term, my, uh, my term for that expired in June of last year, so I am familiar with working on commissions and boards, and I appreciate your support for this. Thank you so much. Thank you. You know what's ironic is, uh, and next, go ahead and, and step up. I gotta I got say a moment of irony here with Animal Services, because it was a body of seven, we reduced it to five because we did not have participation, and to make it easier to get a quorum, we just lessened that body to five people, and now we have an abundance of applicants. So uh, in the past, sometimes we've broadened out uh, the process and expanded committees. I don't know if we're headed to that now here this evening. Mr. Albertson. It's up to ten. It was up to 10 at one time? At one time. So, you know, the irony of it is we took it down to the number of people that are interested, and now we have so many qualified people that are interested. Regardless of what happens tonight, please keep your interest up, because maybe at some point there'll be a need to expand the committee again. Uh, next up to speak and address the council. Uh, good evening. I'm Gina Benedetti-Petnick, and I submitted an application for the Planning Commission, uh, the open seat that um, is available. And I, um, I'm very, very interested in serving. I've never served in a public capacity in this town, born and raised. I've been very active in the community. Um, I've worked here. I've had my own business here. I work now for another business here. I've raised my family here. Um, three children. I'm an engineer. I'm a project manager for a construction company. And I feel very comfortable um, reviewing, understanding, sifting through the issues related to the built environment in this town. I'm not a planner. I don't have planning experience. I'm definitely a newbie on a commission. But I think I, I would bring um, a pretty reasonable and balanced ear and eye and voice to the commission. And I'd be very comfortable serving in that capacity. And I hope you consider me favorably. Thanks. Thank you. Sieber. Well, I know you all know me, um, but I thought I'd come because most of you know me from either Petaluma Friends of Recreation 
perhaps from Aquatics Advisory or prior to that, the Technology Commission, of which I was a member. Um, but I thought I'd give you a little bit of background. I've applied for the Youth Commission. Um, I thought it was a good opportunity in retirement. Um, having been a, an educator at the high school level for about 30 five plus years so all at the high school level all with teenagers and I've also been involved in the past with the Sonoma County Drug Advisory Board I established a peer counseling program with Sonoma County Mental Health um, I assisted in developing a youth court and a community a school-based community service program in Marin County County I work with the Family Service Agency in Marin County to establish a suicide prevention program in the schools um, I was a high school administrator for 14 years a high school teacher for 18 years worked with nutrition services counseling services English language learners and their families and school to career programs so I've had a lot of experience with a lot of issues with teenagers and um, I really I've talked with Mike Harris about it because he's the council liaison to the Youth Commission so I'm familiar with the work I looked at the minutes uh, unfortunately there are no minutes for 2013 on the website um, so um, I wasn't able to get much current information but um, I'm also an advocate for youth having a voice and taking the lead um, so I don't want to tell them what to do but I'd really like to support the young people in this community for um, advocating for their own interests to the city thank you thank you thank you mr. mayor and other council members my name is Mike Grady and I'm applying for the um, animal services position I'm a sixth generation Californian, but only recently moved back to California, Petaluma, from the Washington, D.C. area, where I was for the last 15 years. Um, I've had dogs all my life and generally love animals. Uh, I included my professional resume in the, in the package. Um, my perception is that the Petaluma Animal Services Foundation really needs some new blood and some new thinking and some both management and organizational skills that I think I could bring to them. Uh, Petaluma is a very dog-friendly uh, environment and I really appreciate that, um, but I think there's still some things that we could do to benefit the dog-owning citizens of the, of the um, city uh, that we're not currently doing. So I hope you'll look favorably on my uh, request to participate with you folks in that uh, endeavor. And again, thanks for letting me introduce myself. Thank you. Anyone else? Good evening, Major Glass City Council and staff members. My name is Myron Witt. I've been a resident of Petaluma for 33 years, and I'm applying for a position on the transportation committee. I have spent 20 years working with Golden Gate Transit and I have attached a brief resume to my application. And uh, I think my experience in not only in the military but my various positions with Golden Gate Transit uh, makes me quite well qualified to assist Joe Ray and Councilman Kearney in providing a world-class 
transit system to Petaluma. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? I don't know what's happening, but we sure are doing something right because we're getting some great applicants. So um, just, you know, regardless of what happens here tonight, keep the applications coming. Uh, with that, uh, I'm going to close public comment if everybody's had their say then, uh, and we'll bring it to the council. And the first um, up on the agenda here is Animal Services Advisory Committee. There is one uh, opening here. And um, regardless of what happens, I'm going to encourage folks to get involved, especially people that have the passion with animal services. And that's um, one that might expand because it just got shrunk because there weren't applicants. So please stay involved. <clears throat> Mr. Mayor, do we want to discuss um, the possibility of expanding it before we vote, or do you want to um, go ahead and cast ballots? And I'm open to either. I, I, Mr. Brown. Uh, I think we've had some difficulty in keeping people on this committee. Uh, it was referenced earlier that we'd gone down from 11 to 5. I think we're sitting at 4 right now. Um, and I think part of the concern that some folks have had is, is they're really not quite sure really what their role is and, and how to find their place in that role. Um, I would suggest that rather than expanding the committee this evening, you go ahead and you make your appointment and, and let the committee play itself out for the course of the next several months. You know, they're meeting quarterly, uh, and uh, people may not find that they're engaged enough or they may not find that it's engaging them in the right, the right ways for them. And so, you know, at that point in time, you could come back and talk about expanding it or uh, right. replacing vacancies. That's what's on the agenda. That's... I'm a, uh, that's fine with me. I just the people that applied, uh, we're going to select one, and there's going to be four that aren't going to get selected. I just want to encourage them to stay with their ear to the ground because that might there might be an opening there by several different paths, including expansion. So with that, I think the clerk could read off the results here. Okay, we have Teresa Barrett voting for. Abby Walther. Thank you. Councilmember Harris is voting for Roger Elliott. Thank you. Councilmember Kearney has voted for Roger Elliott. Thank you. Mayor Glass has voted for Abby Walther. Thank you. Vice Mayor Albertson has voted for Michael Grady. Thank you. Councilmember Healy has voted for Abby Walther. Thank you. And Councilmember Miller has voted for Abby Walther. Thank you. So the highest vote getter is uh, Abby Walther with four votes. Next is Roger Elliott with two and Michael Grady with one. Okay, thank you. Next up is the Planning Commission. Um, we had a letter from uh, J.T. Wick, who was appointed to the Planning Commission in the prior round with a term that expired 2014. Mr. Wick has expressed an interest in having his term uh, be reassigned to the longer term that is currently available, 2016. Uh, that seems a reasonable request to me, so I'm going to put that in a motion. Is there a second? I'd second that, Mr. Mayor. Uh, I think that maybe we can just do this by voice. All in favor say aye. 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 Is there any objection to that? 
Okay, with that, um, what we've done is we've appointed actually Mr. Wick to the 2016 term expiration. There is one appointment to be made, and if memory serves now, it is Mr. Wick's term was to expire 2014, and that would be the vacancy that we would now be dealing with. Uh, so with that, we have one vacancy. We have a number of uh, qualified applicants in front of uh, the council, so if everybody would please vote for one, and then we'll pass them down. Councilmember Miller has voted for Gina Benedetti Petnick. Vice Mayor Albertson. I'm sorry, Mr. Attorney, are you with me? I think so. That was okay. uh, Councilmember Miller voted for uh, Ms. Benedetti Petnick. Yes. Thank you. Vice Mayor Albertson has voted for Gina Benedetti Petnick. Thank you. Councilmember Barrett has voted for Daryl Johnson. Thank you. Councilmember Kearney has voted for Gina Benedetti Petnick. Thank you. Councilmember Harris has voted for Gina Benedetti Petnick. Thank you. Mayor Glass has voted for Daryl Johnson. Thank you. And Councilmember Healy has voted for Gina Benedetti Petnick. Thank you. The highest vote getter is Ms. Uh, uh, Benedetti Petnick with five votes, and next is Gerald Johnson with two. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, we're on to the Transit Advisory Committee. There's one vacancy for a two-year term, and that term will expire June 30th of 2015. The council is asked to vote for one. Mr. Mayor, I think you skipped over senior advisory, but there's only one applicant. We didn't get a ballot for it. Okay, well, so we'll just do that by voice vote later. That would be great. I don't know. I've got <laughs> I'm going right down the list that the clerk provided, and uh, senior advisory comes next on this list. So we must have multiple pecking orders here. Are we doing transit? Yeah. By the alphabet, you're right. It should, shouldn't it? I'm just going down the list here. Yeah, alphabet, anyway. Yeah. Councilmember Miller has voted for Edwin McLean. Thank you. Councilmember Harris has voted for Myron Witt. Thank you. Councilmember Kearney has voted for Edwin McLean. Thank you. Councilmember Barrett has voted for Edwin McLean. Thank you. Mayor Glass has voted for Edwin McLean. Thank you. 
Vice Mayor Albertson has voted for Myron Witt. Thank you. And Council Member Healy has voted for Edwin McLean. Thank you. Okay, thank you. So, um, Mr. McLean is the highest vote getter with five votes. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we're on to the Senior Advisory Committee. There's two openings, but one applicant, Bonnie Martini. So by um, consent, uh, unanimous consent here, if we could get that all in favor, say aye. 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 Um, Bonnie Martini is hereby uh, elected to fill that position, expiring June 30th, 2015. We're on to the Youth Commission for an adult member. There's one vacancy to serve a two-year term. There are two that have applied for this position. Councilmember Barrett has voted for Rachel Judkins. Thank you. Councilmember Harris has voted for Carol Eber. Thank you. Councilmember Kearney has voted for Carol Eber. Thank you. Mayor Glass has voted for Carol Eber. Thank you. Vice Mayor Albertson has voted for Carol Eber. Thank you. Councilmember Healy has voted for Carol Eber. Thank you. And Councilmember Miller has voted for Carol Eber. Thank you. So Ms. Um, Eber is the highest vote getter with uh, six votes. Okay, with that, uh, that is the appointments for tonight. And I want to thank on behalf of the City Council all of the applicants. The City is fortunate to have as many people of high skill and qualifications and integrity that applied for these openings. We appreciate it. Uh, there's just not quite enough slots to go around, uh, but it's a good feeling to know there's that many highly qualified people applying. One more senior position. One more senior position, yes. Uh, so if someone wants to, to fill that need, uh, that would be wonderful. If anyone does, maybe they want to step up right now and say they'd like to do that. I don't know. Amongst the pool of applicants. But anyway, we want to thank you all. Don't want to put anybody on the spot there to apply for something you weren't wasn't your first choice. With that, we're moving on to the next item here. Uh, we're on to item 4B. This is an introduction and a first reading of an ordinance adding chapter 8.38, massage establishments and massage professionals to the City of Petaluma Municipal Code, continued from the February 4th, 2013 uh, meeting. With that, we'll first have a staff report from uh, Chief Williams. And uh, following the staff report, if the council has any questions at any time during the report or after uh, please ask the chief. Uh, we will open it up to public comment at the conclusion of the uh, presentation. Good evening, Mr. Williams. Uh, good evening, Mr. Mayor, members of council. Uh, hopefully third time is a charm. With the item tonight, uh, the city council is being asked to consider uh, regulation here locally for the establishment of uh, uh, massage services and uh, local guidance and regulations. We brought the item in uh, December and in February uh, with feedback from council. We conducted additional outreach, including uh, six uh, community meetings and solicited uh, input from uh, folks in the community uh, that presently are practicing uh, here locally, as well as uh, 
reached out to others in the business community. The, uh, the item before you essentially provides a structure uh, that proposes that all uh, massage professionals providing massage services within the city to be uh, either certified by CMTC or to qualify for and obtain a pedal mas massage professional permit in accordance with the proposed ordinance. That's one significant and probably the most uh, uh, telling difference uh, for the item tonight is essentially provides an opportunity for those that are, aren't currently CMTC uh, qualified to have a local uh, process where they can continue uh, to operate. Violations of the ordinance uh, are covered under our administrative code, uh, which are already uh, presently codified and available to us. But essentially what it will do, uh, it has been outlined before with CMTC in, uh, particularly, as being viewed as a best practice in the industry and recognized as good for the business community and for the consumer. We also recognize there are viable uh, professionals locally that don't have the certification that do a wonderful uh, job. And that's the reason that we've outlined uh, this opportunity for them to uh, seek a local uh, permit. The permitting process um, will include uh, essentially an application um, and it's outlined in the uh, in the ordinance where they'll submit uh, documentation and evidence of a qualification as outlined in the ordinance whether A, you have your CMTC certification which essentially is a, a green light go with a business license. There's really not much more you need to do and there's no additional uh, uh, requirements or regulations uh, on our part. The other category uh, essentially would be uh, for those that have uh, 100 hours uh, of uh, non-repetitive course curriculum uh, in a variety of topics that are again outlined in the ordinance uh, for their profession. Um, they complete the application and fingerprint essentially uh, background process with, uh, with LiveScan. And as the ordinance is currently envisioned, uh, we're asking for uh, two years of continuous uh, service uh, operating in the city. We've actually uh, had uh, some comments uh, from uh, many in the community that have actually suggested that number go from two to five. It's not presently in the uh, the ordinance that's structured before tonight. We've set the bar a little a little lower. But some of the feedback we got from uh, stakeholders in the committee was they felt like with this grandfathering uh, clause that five years of continuous um, work in the city of Paloma would demonstrate some continuity, some longevity, some legacy in the community of good, being good practitioners. Uh, so that is one item of uh, uh, consideration uh, that we did not raise uh, the bar at this, at this moment, but I wanted to make sure you were aware of that. With the uh, adoption uh, of the ordinance, uh, it, it sets up a structure of a 120-day window uh, for those uh, uh, wishing to get um, permitted here in Petaluma to submit uh, all the uh, documentation and gives uh, staff the opportunity to uh, sort through all those. Again, the CMTC piece is pretty easy. Uh, the other process uh, where you don't have that will need a little bit more time, but that's the window to get it um, in. 
gives us time to to review it um, and I expect from the stakeholders that have been coming uh, the expectations th they'll have very little challenge of meeting the requirements uh, as they've been part of that uh, part of that process once that window closes then uh, going forward it's everybody's anybody coming in new would have to be CMTC uh, uh, certified piece of the conversation for us uh, and again it's on your agenda for a later item but staffing budgeting all those challenges you've been dealing with for a number of years we feel this helps make the best use of the resources for our our staff we think we have a a wonderful uh, uh, group of professionals uh, that do a great job uh, we think this adds uh, another layer of uh, protection for that business community um, and, and brings um, uh, clarity from the city's perspective that uh, you're great business folks uh, you meet the, these requirements uh, we support you uh, in that in in that which what you do um, and it's an important asset for our community the process itself we expect uh, fee wise uh, about $150 along the same uh, cost that going through the CMTC process is running um, we think that'll be revenue revenue neutral uh, for uh, our cost we're able to conduct it with uh, go through this process with existing uh, staff which again I think is uh, we're not going to hire anybody new um, we can accomplish it with the folks that we got a couple uh, things I do want to touch on that probably generate the most conversation beyond this idea of finding some other process for those that were not CMTC certified was uh, this idea of inspection we've built in to the ordinance the ability of the city um, to conduct inspections to ensure compliance with the ordinance by and large we've had a lot of folks say yeah I get that makes sense uh, no worries uh, we have other folks that um, expressed uh, a stronger uh, view that they want zero interruptions at all uh, from uh, from any of our inspections and I would I, I'm not going to go out and say that there will be zero interruptions uh, I, I would just offer that we have a long history whether it's the police department or other city services of conducting business inspections for the enforcement of city ordinances with little uh, inconvenience or interruption to the to the business we understand that that uh, particularly the relationship between that professional and that client is uh, very very important we're not interested in barging in and causing uh, uh, an issue we'll evaluate each circumstance now if you're a sole uh, proprietor um, and you're it and uh, you don't have a quote-unquote lobby or vestibule or some kind of uh, way station as you come into the business we're not going to be uh, unless with a warrant for a specific criminal investigation our intention is not to be opening that door we want to be able to do what FedEx does or UPS or any service delivery person that can come into your business open your door and come in if they can do that we should be able to do that as far as um, uh, once we're there and, and you have this kind of lobby situation uh, we'll we'll wait um, and if it's a delayed period of time because uh, they're visiting with a client we'll leave a card uh, and we'll come back uh, I've had some uh, express you know they want to 
set up an appointment only uh, kind of circumstance uh, and where I get in the most pure sense for the business person that is uh, very easy to schedule and dial in for them and uh, works good. I would say though that is somewhat limiting if in fact the idea is to be able to enforce this ordinance. Now as, as much as I say we have good solid folks here in town, we do have those that have tried to take advantage of uh, the good work and, uh, uh, and reputation of our, uh, our good folks here in town who quite frankly aren't wouldn't you know so to speak go with the program um, but I, I I'm not um, was not supportive of this idea of doing anything other than we have in the in the ordinance uh, the primary person that will be doing our inspections our neighbor preservation officer Joe Garcia many of you I think know Joe uh, he's done a lot of uh, inspections uh, in town on a variety of issues works with our building department and we have very uh, you know, few issues. It works uh, pretty pretty well, Mr. Mayor. Mr. Carney, uh, Chief. Uh, I mean, in regards to the inspection part of this piece, uh, if you're running a hospital, right, the State Department of Public Health can show up whenever they want. The accreditation agency can show up whenever they want, regardless of whether it's convenient for you. So, from the way I read this, what's being proposed, it seems like we're trying to be pretty accommodating to the businesses and, and working with them. So I, I think think you've done a lot to make sure that this is accommodating to the businesses and not gonna, you know, the spirit of it, from what I can read, is not that you're trying to go and disrupt businesses. So I, I think you guys have done a good job on that, in that regard. And I, and I, I would agree with that. I was just trying to bring clarity that that was a specific issue, particularly with the grandfathering piece too. Um, other smaller issues, this idea of a name tag that has generated some concern by folks, uh, this idea that uh, some certification of, uh, of uh, being healthy, uh, CMTC requires that you self-certify, um, and I forget if it's tuberculosis or some other communicable diseases that uh, we're not asking any, we're going to be asking for anything more than what CMTC is asking now for their, uh, their certified folks. Um, again, by and large, we've had uh, a good support. Folks understand it, get it, and uh, we look forward to moving this item forward. Thank you. I'm going to open it up to public comment now. Uh, I have a handful of speakers to this. There is a chair right near the microphone that says speaker chair reserved. If the on-deck speaker could be in that chair to facilitate the flow of comment, it would be appreciated. Um, Michelle Wellington. To be followed by Stacy um, De Goyer, I think it is. That would be great. The first speaker is Michelle Wellington. Okay. I apologize already because I'm really, really tired. So I'm just going to say that I did <coughs> type something up um, after I did read the ordinance. Um, proposed and um, I guess I just want to comment to the things that you know being working here in Petaluma for 18 years um, it just is has been um, in combination with just working through the CMTC requirements um, keeping up the clientele taking care of my grandmother um, and and also the original proposal was actually jeopardizing my business and that's been remedied 
the uh, hours requirement, which under the Business and Professions Code is and has been only 100. And I have well, you know, we all have well over that, but qualifying at the exact 500 hour regulation that was a problem for some of us. And to say that, oh, you've been um, practicing all these years and all of a sudden you're under a police uh, <coughs> police administration is, is just feels a little bit um, hard. And um, but I do understand that there are some challenges that the city might be dealing with with maybe some of the new establishments. Um, I think that uh, massage therapy, skincare, and facials, as well as other spa services, are a vital part of attracting tourism and ensuring the quality of life for city dwellers and function to employ a small but important group of healers in our community. I really don't like um, the idea of putting massage therapy in any way in the same boat with prostitution. It's a completely different business. And um, I think that, that you know prostitution at this point is illegal in California and that it probably is um, something that under investigation that you know that can be pursued, but I don't I appreciate having our our work being compared in any way. Um, I wrote down some ideas and um, comments on the pro um, ordinance, which I will hand in. Um, I think that there's a question of like the violations, like what actually um, the violation, like if you didn't have a name tag, how much would that be? Would that can you know if you looked at it as like a criminal offense or uh, not having a, a license that was you know maybe you were a month behind? You know what the different uh, financial um, uh, comparisons. There was some word usage that I didn't really agree with in the proposal that could probably be easily changed. Um, I think a lot of the proofs and affidavits, like there's a lot of things that say you have to have an affidavit, this and that. And then um, how is the officer actually investigating that, <coughs> et cetera. Thank you for um, listening to me, and um, I'll just hand this in if you want to make copies. I'll also try to email it. Thank you. Stacy DeGoyer to be followed by Tiana Skye. Good evening, Mayor Glass and council members. I urge you to vote in favor of the proposed massage ordinance because it will meet the following goals. It will make the barrier to entry for illicit businesses in Petaluma more formidable. Secondly, it will match the criteria for practicing massage therapy with the criteria used in neighboring jurisdictions such as Katati, Rohnert Park, Santa Rosa, and San Rafael. Third, because the California Massage Therapy Council, the CAMTC, will be the primary agency for protecting the public and vetting massage therapists. This will relieve the city of Petaluma of the financial burden requiring that only the short-term expense of administering the local permit process for long-term Petaluma practitioners who choose to do the local permit. By voting in favor, this will diminish prostitution illicit businesses in Petaluma. It will evaluate, excuse me, elevate the status of therapeutic massage professionals by acknowledging an, education, an, an educational standard 
that is common in about 40 states across the country. It's usually 500 hours to have a massage license in many of the states that have a license act. Since California only has a title act, that's one of the distinctions. So, um, by l and finally, and what the council directed at the last meeting back in February is that we were that the new ordinance would be able to embrace the long-term practitioners that have been working here for a long time, have a wonderful client base, support the community for health and wellness, and this local permitting t um, tier allows those <coughs> massage providers to continue with their livelihood. Um, I would like to commend Lieutenant Sears and Chief Williams for their communication and outreach and they have organized many meetings since December and it has um, through this there's been a lot of discussion and education of massage therapists the police department the um, government officials and the public and this is a wonderful benefit the one uh, consideration I would like to add is in the last community forum that I attended, there were mostly long-term practitioners there, and we did ask that the um, two-year opportunity for the local permit be upped to five years so that you really are a long-term <laughs> practitioner that has a lot of experience in order to keep the um, safety for the public. Thank you very much. Thank you. Diana Skye, to be followed by Debbie Fisher. Good evening, council members, Mayor Glass. Could you speak into the microphone, please? Yes, better? Yes. For many months now, we have been debating the details of the proposed massage ordinance for the city of Petaluma. During that time, a number of things have happened. At the request of city council and massage therapist, our city officials, Chief William and Lieutenant Sears, have facilitated several meetings designed to hear and respond to the concerns of those involved. Also during that time, another thing has happened. Happy 8 Massage has opened next door to our campus. They have blatantly advertised licit services. It's distressing to me as a business operator and a massage therapist that my students and clients might in any way associate us with Happy Eight activities. The time has come to stop arguing over philosophical differences of the ordinance and get on with the business of approving an ordinance that upholds the professionalism of legitimate massage therapists, protects the public, and empowers law enforcement with recourse for restricting illicit businesses. We can go back and forth forever about whether or not it is unpleasant for a massage therapist to be associated with prostitutes. I would be the first to weigh in and agree that it is offensive. That said, since confusion does exist in the public perception of massage therapy, I'm all for an ordinance that in the end clearly distinguishes between legitimate and illicit activities. The ordinance as it stands protects the right of Petaluma's established massage therapists while at the same time providing a barrier against the influx of adult entertainment businesses. New massage therapists in the field will be required to adhere to standards set forth by the CAMTC, which were thoughtfully created by a collective of massage therapists, industry leaders, lawmakers, and educators. The requirements and standards established by the CAMTC are a direct result of informed and educated professionals 
tackling the same issues we face today. The certification process clearly defines qualifications for the education and practices provided by professional massage therapists. Massage therapy is a health service and as such requires regulation that ensures the safety of all concerned. Over these past few months, we have collectively addressed the issues and concerns on all sides of the debate. The ordinance we have before us protects the rights of Petaluma's long-term massage therapists, while at the same time setting forth a higher standard of regulation that moves the industry forward and supports the city of Petaluma. Let's not prolong the arguments unnecessarily. The time has come to approve a massage ordinance for the city of Petaluma. Thank you. Thank you. Debbie Fisher. Hello, Council. I'm Debbie Fisher, and uh, I've been working in town here for 20 years as a massage therapist. I uh, grew up here. Um, I'm basically for this massage, for this ordinance as it stands. Um, I've gone to a lot of meetings. It's been quite a process, and um, a bit of a worrisome process for various people, but um, I think we've as a group, we've gotten on board um, to get ready to fulfill, fulfill these requirements if we haven't already done them. Um, so I'm not going to make this too long. Um, I, I am one of those people that asks for the five years instead of the two years. Um, I'd be fine with ten years because this, this permit process was all about people that have worked here for a long time, 10 years or so, or, or what have you, and that they don't fall through the cracks because, um, because of, of the details. So uh, I would also you know, recommend going from two years to five years um, for continuous work. And um, the other, well, there, there's one, well, there's two other things. Uh, the small one is that because we have basically or we have or will jump through some hoops here and spend some money um, there's there's a place on the city website where you recommend professionals and I would ask that uh, you would consider putting up the people that are permitted and CAMTC certified on that you can consider that um, and uh, I, I have been, I've been very concerned about um, the inspectors. Uh, I have no problem with people coming to inspect my business, but um, I worry about them. You know, I'm sure that they're not going to barge in to my session with someone. Um, I feel much better talking with the chief about this. Uh, and, and I and I believe him that that he won't try to, you know he won't be interrupting us or his people won't be interrupting us but uh, it is a very big concern of mine um, I'd like to see it in the ordinance written just a, a sentence in there about you know that that uh, there will be um, uh, something about you know something about making an appointment uh, unless there is some worry about illicit behavior. Uh, because once we start a session, it's it's a session. You know, it's like being in the doctor's office when you're talking about something unmentionable. You know, there are things that they talk about that people are. It's just a situation where you want privacy. So that's about all I had to say. Anyway, <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. 
Uh, that's the last uh, speaker card that I have. Is there anyone else who wishes to address the council on item 4B as in boy? Seeing so no one rise, public comment on this item is hereby closed. And we'll bring it back to the council. Uh, council Member Barrett. Um, thank you. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think the chief is right. I think the third time is the charm. Uh, I really, really want to commend both the police department and Chief Williams in particular and all the, the professionals who stepped forward and worked so hard and so long to come to a compromise. And and this this is so much better. And I really do think it is, you know, nobody's probably perfectly satisfied but it really is good uh, and I'm I'm here to support it um, as is but I was would like to hear from the chief what if there is any issue you have about the two-year five-year issue we heard that brought up twice I I totally um, understand believe and respect what chief Williams had to say about interruption of services I really don't think any massage therapist really has to worry about that I think other people have to worry about that and that's as it should be our uh, I think our preference would be five years the preference frank. would be five yes, years but we wanted to allow the door to be open uh, as wide as it could be under the regulations to make it easier for those that uh, might not have that length of time in um, I think our preference of the five, I don't know if it can be changed at this point, if it's not well, far enough along, but quite frankly, that, that makes it. You would have no objection. No objection. To that. It makes it simpler, quite frankly, I think, and it goes to the, to the heart of the matter of demonstrating some continuity and legacy in the community. Okay, well, I'm never a fan of uh, changing rules on the fly here, but um, if that's not, if there is consensus for that, um, uh, I would like to see us move in that direction. But I, I would have a concern from the standpoint that what has happened here is that when we started this journey back in December, it was very volatile and highly controversial. And I understand two, two people have come and said five years, and the chief would like five years. I'm wondering how many people are in that category between two years of service and five years of service that are pleased having read the draft ordinance on the website and haven't shown up tonight because they feel like they were grandfathered in and they were covered and I'd, I'd hate to take what has now evolved to the point where it's not a controversial issue and wind up creating a controversy that doesn't need to exist that would be that would be my concern about this so I, I would just soon leave it personally right as it is uh, and I would make the motion to do exactly that, if, the, if, the, if that is okay. Well, I would second that, and I, I understand what you're saying. Thank so you. I appreciate that. Mr. Harris. Thank you, and I agree with that, that direction. Uh, I appreciate that. This has been a good collaboration between uh, the professionals and staff, and I appreciate what's been done. One of the quick questions I have, and it won't change how I'm going to vote, I'm just more out of a curiosity, and this isn't a, a pop quiz. I know at the beginning, back at the, uh, the beginning, uh, we were concerned about how many people were notified through the process. And I know that we went through links, and it was described in the staff report how you sent out certified letters to the business license, phone directory, online resources. But in general, what was that increment jump? Um, what, did it go from 100 to 200? Was everyone sufficiently um, noticed? And I, w I would offer this, uh, Council Member, if, if, if there's a massage professional in Petaluma that doesn't know about this, 
then uh, we don't want them. <laughs> no, I, I, <laughs> just a little joke. Uh, yeah, there isn't anybody that doesn't know this thing is sure. going on, and um, there's been play, and there's been a network beyond our own uh, conversations amongst the community themselves, outreaching to others to make sure that they were. And I think, quite frankly, what we found was we had a lot more operating that uh, were not business licenses. Mm -hmm. Quite frankly, when we looked at our resources through the city, we went outside that online. Uh, finding those who demonstrated uh, a connection to Paluma, that number grew. So that, I think that'll help clean up a piece of the uh, conversation as well. And I appreciate that. I know a tremendous amount of outreach went out, and it was clearly identified in the staff report. I kind of wanted to speak about it in the public forum here so people heard it, because I know that was a big issue in one of our initial hearings. But I appreciate the work that was done. Uh, I've never seen anything go out in our staff report that said it was sent out certified letter either. So that yeah, was kind of intriguing. Bottom line is I goofed. You know, we should have done that up front. We should have been more thoughtful about that process on the front end. We didn't. We, we got it right now, and that'll kind of be a template for us going forward. I appreciate everything you guys did. Thank you. Thank you. With that, uh, Mr. Albertson. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I want to thank the department for the work they put in on this. It was excellent. And I want to thank the professionals for coming out and speaking here this evening, and more so, I think, to yourselves and those who spoke in earlier sessions here, uh, their comments and yours uh, contributed to the finished document that we have here tonight, and I'll be supporting this effort. Thank you. Mr. Healy. <clears throat> yeah, thank you. Um, likewise, I'll, I'll be supporting this, and I wanted to say this is a, you know, a happier and better result than I was anticipating uh, as we were going through the first two go-rounds, and um, want to thank the, the police department and the professionals in town for for uh, listening to, to each other and uh, coming up with a consensus product. Thank you. You're okay. <laughs> I don't need to repeat what everybody else has said. There you go. Okay, we'll vote by the lights, all right? Here we go. There's an electricity shortage. We got it? Congratulations. It's unanimous. And thank you to all of you in the room and the people that preceded you. And thanks for all the work on all of the meetings. It's a good job. You know, I think Mr. Healy says it's like watching uh, government is like watching sausage being made. It can be ugly sometimes, but we got a good sausage product here tonight. So thank you. All right. So with that, we're on to uh, the next item on the agenda is item 5A, a resolution authorizing the Petaluma City Council to unfreeze one fire inspector position that is currently frozen by resolution 2008-186 NCS. Mr. Anderson, thank you. Good evening, Mayor, Council, City Manager. Um, the unfreezing of the vacated position that's before you tonight was a firefighter or fire inspector one position. It was vacated back in 2008. That's actually generated a little over 650,000 in salary savings since that was done. In order to accommodate that reduction, the Bureau had to absorb certain impacts to meet the demand, such as uh, significantly retooling the operation, um, completing only the highest, most uh, essential code enforcement inspections inspections while a lot of others went uninspected. We also re-implemented the engine company inspection program to pick up some of the slack so that put more people on the street to be able to do uh, the, the life safety inspections. They also streamlined the business and um, development review process to focus on a quick turnaround and meet that demand which is a pay per, per review. 
Having done all that, uh, the refilling of this position will allow the Bureau to begin addressing historic work in demands as well as uh, growing community uh, impacts uh, from all the development that's going on. The funding is now in place to refill that position without negatively affecting or impacting the general fund at all. The, uh, uh, it would be done by redirecting part-time wages to the full-time position, utilizing increasing revenues that are conservatively estimated out the next five years to be in a, in a positive category, and uh, if necessary, redirecting uh, resources within the budget to meet the demand, which is probably not likely. Um, conservative five-year model that was examined by, vetted by the finance department, uh, reveals we're going to generate in excess of 200000 over the next five years just because of the escalating revenues, so that more than captures the, the cost of the position. Are there any other questions about this? Do we have any questions? Mr. Albertson. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Chief, at the bottom of uh, page two, there's a chart. Uh, that talks about the fees, fiscal period, five-year costs, fully loaded, fire inspector. Can you explain that chart? Yes. Um, the the top, You're referring to the top line. I'm referring to the chart in general, sir. Okay. The, uh, well, starting from the top, the the wages were, um, as it stated in in the uh, uh, in the agenda, is fully loaded as prepared by the finance department. It included escalation out over the five years. It incorporates uh, health care, um, retirement, pensions, everything that's loaded into that. Uh, it includes um, splitting it out because when someone starts in a position, you don't typically start step one. And then one year later, step two, there's a crossover, and you're, you're in two steps in any given year. So it incorporates that set of, of, of financing. The uh, part-time wages on the next category below, that's what the, the wages we utilize for um, our part-time fire ins uh, inspector currently. And so we're proposing to utilize that, those funds, which represent a little over 54% of the, the fully loaded position, to offset the cost of this. And then the annual fees are escalated. That's going to happen by default every July 1. It's automatic. It's 2.5%. It's based on a conservative three-year average, which included some, some slow years, not so slow, and one okay year. Those inspection fees? Yeah, correct. Yeah, COOPA fees, everything. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yes, and then I'm going to come this way, Mr. Healy, yeah, and then just uh, Chief, just to follow on Mr. Albertson's question, the annual fees received plus escalation, is, is that the net are those the net fees attributable to this new position, or are those just your overall fees for the entire department? Yeah, overall, because we haven't had the position in place to generate those fees. We suspect we're actually going to generate better fees, but didn't want to bring that before you tonight. Okay, so there's okay. Um, all right, so all right, thank I appreciate that, Councilmember Barrett. So um, this is actually related. So we're all on the same same thread here. Um, when you say that this is a hundred percent paid for, does that include retirement and all the uh, benefit costs associated yeah, with this correct. position? Correct. Yeah, it, it includes incentives, retirement, health care estimated through the next five years as prepared by finance. It's fully loaded out the door. Okay. There's nothing else that you would have to pay so for. I want to make sure I was understanding that. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Mr. Mayor. Uh, Chief Albertson, on this position, we currently have someone working part-time. Are they going to be just elevated to being full-time or are we going to have to go out and recruit? and do that whole process, or can we just elevate the person, or if that's what your wish is? 
Yeah, no, we have to, to do an, uh, an external recru recruitment, and so we're going to go through that process uh, if this is adopted. And um, the, the person that's in the position now is very, very highly qualified and is committed to, to, to the city of Petaluma, lives here locally, and, and will do very, very well in the competitive arena. Does this position count toward the minimum staffing requirement of 14? No, it does not. Think so. Okay, thanks. Any other questions here? No. Okay. Uh, I have to open it up for public comment. And then we'll, uh, is there anyone that would like to step to the uh, microphone and address the council on this item on public comment? I have no speaker cards. Seeing no one rise, public comment is hereby closed. With that, we'll bring it back to the city council. I'll move the item. Uh, second. Uh, we got a second by Mr. Healy. If there's no more discussion, we'll vote by the lights. Okay. So motion carries unanimously, seven uh, votes for that. Uh, thank you very much. We're on to item 5B as in boy. Back to Chief Williams. This is a resolution amending the classification and compensation plan by reestablishing the classification and pay range of public safety dispatch supervisor and authorizing the position allocation of public safety dispatch supervisor. Chief Williams. Mr. Mayor and members of council, uh, until October of 2008, uh, we had a dispatch manager position. Uh, and when the incumbent retired, uh, the position was left vacant. A police sergeant filled the dispatch supervisor a role from November of 2008 until January of 2011. What happened there was uh, staffing challenges pushed that body back into patrol, so we then took a PERS uh, annuitant, uh, half-time, 20 hours a week, um, and filled that role part-time till the end of December of uh, 2012. From that moment to now, uh, we're actually using a, a lieutenant to supervise uh, that unit. Presently, the dispatch center's staff uh, by nine full-time public safety dispatchers. Uh, until the 2012-13 budget, we had 10. Uh, and again, for budgetary reasons, it was cut back to nine. With only nine full-time uh, dispatch positions, the, uh, the dispatchers were moved to 12-hour shifts to meet minimum staffing. In addition to that, dispatchers must work an additional 12 hours at the beginning of each month uh, to cover known personnel shortages, so we can plan ahead for training or vacations, those kinds of things. In addition to known shortages, uh, they're required to fill an unanticipated absences, sick calls, etc. We recently had a, an off-duty injury with one of our staff that was uh, off for um, four to five weeks that the dispatch had to cover. There is no additional capacity to absorb uh, any more losses moving moving forward. Reestablishing the dispatch supervisor position at this time provides a much-needed direct supervision and support to dispatch personnel, and provides an additional person. Uh, to work dispatch. Uh, under all but the dispatch manager going back to 2008, we've never had a supervisor that could work the radio. So that's a challenge. Uh, the supervision piece is just one slice of the pie. We've got to be all the staff that can actually uh, work the radio. Now, uh, that's all well and good, but the reality of it is uh, there's no additional funds. Um, I never thought, you know, a year ago coming into this, I'd be in here asking you to consider an idea of uh, not filling a, uh, a funded police officer position. 
both situations are bad. The lack of dispatchers and the lack of police officers. Dispatch is worse, unfortunately. Um, the fact that we've made it this long uh, really is a testament to the, the, the folks we got inside that dispatch, uh, that dispatch booth. But for that reason, uh, the need to get another uh, a body in there as well as uh, have a dispatcher supervisor from inside that unit, um, I've got 61 positions uh, filled. I've got 62 funded. So the conversation becomes, you know, what do we do? And um, unfortunately, um, we're in a situation uh, where I'm in a rock and a hard place, and I need to uh, I need to, to act. Uh, uh, quite frankly, part of that process involved looking at our budget. Round numbers that were at 14.2 million uh, total funds for the police department. Round numbers we got about 11 percent of that as M&O maintenance operation. Um, there's not there's not a lot of there's no wiggle room. I'll put it to you uh, to you that way. So as much as both um, alternatives are tough, um, the higher need right now is in is in dispatch. When uh, we looked at what that position required and how we'd operate it, uh, the expectation is that person will work uh, 20 hours. Now, <clears throat> this is if we have 10. Right now, if uh, with nine, we still need a supervisor. They'd be working the radio full time, along with doing the other supervisory responsibilities as far as scheduling and uh, the evals and counseling and uh, handling all the supervisory responsibilities. If uh, if we have 10, uh, we envision an opportunity where that dispatch supervisor will work 20 hours on the radio and have 20 hours to do administrative stuff respons responsible for, to that position. When we worked with HR on uh, job description and looking at uh, uh, putting this position together, reach out to other agencies uh, around us, our neighbors, looking at uh, position descriptions and uh, compensation then looked at our current compensation uh, schedules for existing positions with similar responsibilities and tiered uh, came up to a, a compensation uh, package so it's uh, it's no position we want to be in uh, I don't have another alternative uh, before me right now and um, I'm faced with the difficult challenge of, of coming to you First and foremost, we have to have a dispatch supervisor. Regardless of what else we do, we've got to we got to have a, a body in that unit that can can run it. I've got the pedal of policing lieutenant who's doing the best he can with what he's got, <clears throat> overseeing it. Uh, but we got to have somebody in there that understands the dynamics and the challenges uh, and how to operate that system. Um, so whatever we do beyond that, we I really really uh, would look for your support in getting this position. Beyond that, um, if and I and I get this idea of unfunding, I've never asked for this. Uh, would never thought I'd be here asking for it now, but in the circumstances that we're in, I I don't have another alternative before us right now. And um, if if you don't s support the concept, uh, then I expect uh, we will work uh, diligently with with John and uh, Bill Machado to try to find other. Uh, funding sources. There's none, new, no new revenue stream uh, f in, in front of us at this moment. 
The, um, the situation here is that you're vulnerable to a good deal of overtime in the dispatcher operation. Would that be an accurate analysis of it as, as you sit there with nine uh, and working 12-hour shifts, and if anyone's sick or on vacation or whatnot, you're backfilling with overtime? Yeah, so eight absolutely is can't do anything more. You know, that gives us two bodies, 24-7 in dispatch. And when you throw in, you guys heard the story before, when you throw in holidays, vacations, uh, train, you know, all the other math, it, it whittles down our available personnel hours, our labor hours to, to staff uh, dispatch. And then you've got some unique skills inside of this skill set to make the operation run efficiently and to capture the best um, service out of whatever officers you have on patrol, they service better if the dispatch unit is functioning properly. Oh yeah, there's, there's no doubt. And the, the skill set, quite frankly, I don't think 90% of our cops could pass the dispatch test. It just, it's, you know, you gotta, have, you gotta be too good uh, to work in there. The days of a police officer going in there working dispatch, there used to be a time early on in my career you could go in and relieve a dispatcher to go to lunch or whatever and answer the phone and punch a time clock and push the button to talk to the cops. Everything's digital. Everything's, you know, cops are, just can't, we can't do that anymore. And, and uh, with the nine that we have, um, they've done a great job. They don't have direct supervision. We need to get that shored up. And I really feel stuck uh, that within our own resources I don't have the ability to to shuffle things around uh, and I'm trying to buy some time uh, with that 62nd position and then while you're running short ideally not optimum uh, you're running 61 down from 62 it, this also if we fill this dispatch position will free up at least a portion of a day for a lieutenant to do work that there would be more uh, using their skill set and pay grade at a higher level and where their expertise is more appropriate to the workload that they'd be taking on? Yeah, so we, we could continue to have the lieutenant do what he's doing and he's a band-aid and can kind of get by, but we need eyes on inside that unit that knows specifically how to operate that equipment, knows specifically the needs and understands the nuances of that unit. For but the what I need to understand is that not only would the dispatch office work more efficiently, if you freed up that time sure, with the yes, lieutenant, definitely. It would help with somewhere else works more having efficiently. Having a command level officer doing some other things. The other challenge, you know, with this, although we have 61 funded, um, we still have one officer in training, we've got four on, on different modified duty statuses that are in patrol that are not able to work in the field. So it's it's still a difficult, whatever we do, it, nothing's easy and it's a very, very difficult situation to be in. Is there a chance that dispatch could work with some other, I don't know, entity that's looking to save funds and provide service somewhere else and recoup some of the revenue somewhere? Is, is there something out there of greater regional efficiency that we either could offer service to or contract services from? So uh, there was a lot of conversation predating my arrival looking at a regional solution. That solution is not uh, viable at this moment. We have talked to other agencies about the idea to do kind of a per diem dispatch to where we could use other staff uh, at a, you know, basically at a part-time rate to come in and help us cover shifts. And uh, so Lieutenant Cook's been having those conversations with other entities, which essentially it's a backfill situation to help if we need it. And again, that's not a long-term solution. 
I want to support what you're doing because this is what we pay you for. You're, you're the chief to come in and look and say, this is what needs to happen to run this thing efficiently. What, you know, when the cuts were made and you referenced and I wrote it down that you had, you know, a choice um, of bad, bad choices. I remember when the budget cuts were being made and that was an awful thing to go from $49 million budget to $32 million. And quite often we had the choice between a bad choice and a really bad choice and then the unthinkable. And this was one of the, when, it, when this position got cut, it was one of the really, you know, the best of really bad options at the time. So to me, if and when you look at it, this is what you need to get the maximum out of your department. I want to support that. I just want to know that somewhere we're going to make attempts and try to find revenue somewhere, grants, funding, contract for services with some other entity if we can to provide a service and defray an expense, something like that, a best efforts. Mr. Brown. Well, thank you, Mr. Mayor. I wanted to, to sort of echo on to that. Uh, as the Chief indicated, this is an immediate need that we really need to meet. We can't go on like we've been going uh, without replacing this or, or hiring this particular position. Uh, we've brought the, the size of the police force itself, those police officers who are out on the street, down by 13. Um, and any time since then that we've had a position vacate, uh, the authorization has been given to the department to fill that position. The department has done a great job, I think, of, of convincing me that it has gotten down to the place where it really can't function at any lower level than the one that it's, it's functioning now on the police side or on the dispatch side. Um, and so bringing something forward to you that says we want to leave a, a police officer position vacant in order to do this is an uncomfortable recommendation to make and one that I don't think we want to allow to stand any longer than we have to. So you can certainly read from that staff report that this is what our solution is right now and, and that could be the foreseeable future. But I think our commitment at the staff level, and we tried to include that in the report too, is, is that we will do our best to see if we can't find another funding source so that maintaining a vacancy is something that we only have to do for the minimum amount of time necessary to put that staffing or to put that financing plan together. Uh, you know, the, so you've mentioned grants. I'm not sure how viable that really will be given, given police work, but there's certainly that opportunity. There are earmarked funds that we're looking at. There are trust funds that we are holding at this point that may not be designated. That requires a fairer level of analysis going back many years to determine how that money was generated, who it's, who it's owed to, or what it was collected for, and whether any of it's available. I think some of it is. Um, we have been given authorization in the REC program to replace one position with two positions that are a little bit uh, lower down the pay grade. Uh, it's going to take a while to replace those people. That'll generate some salary savings. Uh, likewise, in the finance department, we've been given the authority to hire a position there. That position hasn't come on yet this year. There are salary savings associated with those positions that we're willing to dedicate from those two other departments to the police department to try to help cobble together the funding that we need in order to fill that police vacancy. The problem as we sit here this evening is, is we don't have a full plan to provide you and we don't have the plan to put this together with a bow on it uh, you know, in order to, to say here's exactly what we're going to do and here's how it's going to work. So we're sort of asking the council at this point to take two bites out of this apple and allow us to, to take this one this evening because it's the most immediate need and trust that we will come back with something that'll work uh, in as near a term in the future as we're able to, to make that happen. 
Mr. Mayor. Mr. Harris. Uh, thank you. Um, obviously, the, the analysis is very compelling for another dispatcher, um, but I want to come back to the, the money piece, and I know that um, the city manager is explaining the cobbling together of dollars, and that's not I want to uh, continue to try to attempt to do. Um, there's obviously a lot on the table. The the numbers here, 124,000-ish versus 137,000-ish, you were referring earlier to the overtime issue. I know there's the mandatory issue. I know the mayor asked about OT in general, but is there a dollar figure in general that could be saved by doing, not an exact, because that would be uh, too tough right here, but there is some salary savings from the OT that I'm sure that could be saved that can mitigate these differentials between these two numbers that can make us feel better walking out here out of here if we made some sort of direction to to cobble together dollars the city manager just referred to there is some OT that right. is here this position isn't going to be hired as of July 1st obviously because we're already August 5th you have to do the recruitment and, and you know get them here and then hire it and their first check wouldn't be until September so that's only 10 twelfths of a year which is only 83 percent of that number you have here and by then we've had a mid-year budget we've cobbled together this analysis and it gets me more and more comfortable to to move forward with you know your recommendation that's very again very compelling about the dispatcher but not reduce the, the police force even even further because there are opportunities out there that aren't fully explored um, and so I guess the that was a little preamble but I guess the question is is there any opportunity like to get our our thumb on about how much that is or is it it's not zero it's but we don't know the exact number yeah so I would I would if I can say Kentucky windage if that's not an insult to anybody uh, a guesstimate probably 30% uh, of overall cost we might be able to save relative to the overtime we can kind of two pieces here that would happen uh, dispatch supervisor would be recruited from and identified within the unit that we have now so that process would go and that person would be identified and they would then have that compensation. At the same time, we've been doing ongoing recruitment for dispatchers. We have, um, in addition to the, the nine uh, full-time uh, employees, we have two part-time positions. <coughs> we are intending uh, to use one of those part-time positions. I think it's $28,000 a year set aside per part-time employee uh, to pull together with some of that money. We also were looking... Uh, Round numbers, there was about $54,000 that was set aside for the, uh, the part-time dispatch supervisor who left us in de December to try to pull some of those monies uh, together to be able to get that, that math, and we just we have not been able to get there. Well, any other thoughts? Mr. Kearney. So, uh, Chief, I appreciate the effort and thought that went into this. Um, but eliminating a police officer or not filling an open position uh, is just something that's really, really tough for me to even think about uh, at all. Uh, that being said, I've been in the dispatch center on a busy night, and I've seen how hard the staff in there work. And if we go back to uh, the Meritorious Service uh, Award event that, that, that where we gave out the awards to these staff that, that work hard, and we think about uh, the unfortunate incident, uh, the shooting we had downtown, and that Sunday there was only two dispatchers on duty handling all the calls and uh, requests from the officers in, in the field uh, for additional resources uh, and still maintaining the rest of the city at the same time. Right. Uh, 
so there is definitely a need to have additional staff in there. Um, but but for me, it, it's just it's it's really tough to say, especially given the knowledge of how many staff we have out on disability right now that aren't, you know, they're they're on the they're on the numbers, but they're not actually sixty one people out there patrolling right now. You know. Oh yeah, yeah, or, no, no, or, no, you, get, you get you got thirty that are assigned to patrol. That's our max staffing. Mm -hmm. And when I, for example, when I left the building to come over here today, we had four officers in service. We had two in dispatch. We had somebody at the counter, no front lobby help because it's uh, after 5 o'clock. The dispatcher has her cord connected to the council, and she's got the door open, and she's hanging out the door trying to talk to the person in the lobby. It's, uh, they've done a wonderful job in a, a very, very trying circumstances. So I, I guess the, the question I'm kind of getting at is we just passed our budget about a what, two month and a half, two months ago, and, and this wasn't brought up in the budgeting process. And that kind of uh, is concerning to me because uh, since then we've also had a, a meeting where we talked about our, our uh, long-term financial plan for uh, reserves and establishing a reserve policy. And I don't think that we really had the whole picture because this wasn't factored into it. So we expected not to have to come back to you, and, and the fifty-four thousand on the part-time dispatcher went back uh, for other uses. So it put us back in a. We just all this process that had been going on. We expected between a piece of that money, a piece of overtime, piece of a, a part-time equivalent, we'd be able to to get there, and, and unfortunately, we're not. So is it re reasonable to expect that in maybe a three months time period we can have a plan for how we're going to pay for and fill and get us back up to the 62 number as opposed to being at 61? Mr. Brown. Well, I would say yes. I think three months is sufficient time for us to put something together. Because, I mean, that does put us at, at pretty much mid-year, right? I mean, just short of it, but yeah, close enough. Because um, I, I would I would feel much more comfortable with this if if we had some kind of assurance that there is a timeline there there is a goal that in three months time period or or by the mid year uh, budget time we're going to be able to say okay we're back up to sixty two and, and and look at at possibly filling that position again. Well, I mean I don't I'm not trying to tell the chief you know micromanagement but in 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 that way but I just want to make sure that we have as many officers available to do the job as, 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 as our city deserves. Mr. Mr. Brown. I was going to say it would be my goal to have something back to the council in the month of September. Councilmember Barrett. Yeah, I, th I think this is, you are right. This is the rock and the hard place. It is very difficult, but I really uh, commend, you know, you making the hard decision. And I, I would say to the council members, 5D is coming up. I mean, we're going to be talking about maybe funding another fireman or another policeman or another other thing. You know, we're talking about raising tax, and that that's a conversation we can have there. Um, but this is, as as the chief said, an an immediate need, and um, you know, I. I I understand that if you can't get the dispatchers. If the dispatchers can't tell the police where to go, the police can't be effective. So um, I think freeing up a lieutenant for whatever time he's putting into this is also helping our police be more effective. Um, and, and this is where we are right now. So I'm, I'm 
supportive of this. Thank you. Mr. Harris. Yeah, quick follow-up. I uh, forgot to ask it earlier. You'd mentioned earlier that you had the four officers that weren't in right now, but you had one in training as well, somebody was in training. So what would happen if it was at 61 and the person got through training and we didn't have that position? They're still in the 61. That oh, that is in there. Yeah, it includes. The person in training is in yes. the 61. Okay. Yeah, and it does not include an officer I've got going off in soldier surgery first week in September. Okay. So we'll have another... You know, so it's just. Thank you. You know the story, Councilmember Miller. Hi, Chief Williams. What's the difference between a dispatch manager and a dispatch supervisor? So, and again, this predates me. A dispatch supervisor would be uh, lower in, in the food chain than a manager. Okay. And uh, typically, manager would not work the radio or work in the comm center. They would do strictly administrative related functions. Uh, so we have not been in that situation since uh, I think it was 08. Okay. Um, I, I would agree with what Councilmember Kearney said. Um, I understand the need for a dispatch supervisor, but I'm really very uncomfortable with the idea of leaving that, um, of, of taking us from 62 to 61. Um, so um, I appreciate that, that we're hearing that we can get this back in front of us in September. Um, with some possible solutions to, to keep that, that police officer position filled. Councilmember Healy. <clears throat> yeah, um, my, um, thank you. My, my uh, views are similar to that. I, I, I certainly see the need for um, uh, additional staffing in, in, in um, dispatch, um, and, and I, but I am, am critically concerned about reducing the number of sworn officers we have in the community. Um, and, and alluding to something that uh, Mr. Kearney talked about previously, you know, a few months ago we had a workshop talking about reserve levels, and we had that conversation sort of in a vacuum, and wouldn't it be nice to increase reserve levels and do it at an aggressive clip? And, well, of course it is. And, but if you don't know what the trade-offs are, it's, it's kind of hard to have a meaningful conversation. And, and this is, you know, an example of what, what the trade-offs are. And, you know, if, if, if the discussion is, and that, that the whole issue of, um, um, uh, of reserve levels doesn't even come up in the staff report on this item, which is understandable. It's just kind of regarded as, as a fixed uh, thing, um, but it doesn't need to be. And I, and I think we need to be reaching more broadly to talk about, you know, cobbling together the financing. And if, if as long as, in my view, as long as the, the reserves are moving in the right direction, I'm less concerned with the speed that we get there. Um, so I'll throw that into the mix. Um, I'm actually a little bit confused by some of the discussion going on up here and people are are happy that something might be coming back in September but I'm not quite sure what what the implication that leaves for for the interim um, I would hope something can come back in September um, but I'm not prepared to support reducing the the sworn staffing level even for that period of time so um, that's that's where I'm at Robertson. thank you mr. mayor um, I'm glad we had the, the discussion on, on the overtime costs that might help offset some of these expenses. And um, I, too, am concerned about the loss of the sworn police officer. I'm in full agreement with the mayor. I want to give you what you want. You want a dispatcher or a supervisor, and I want you to have it. 
and it's just how do we pay for it and I'm not prepared to do that at the cost of a police officer uh, in the staff report it quotes having from one time 78 and now down to 62 that's a 20 percent one in five one in five out the door thanks for playing it's uh, I have maintained here from the, my first arrival on the council that public safety is the prime responsibility of this, of this government, of this municipal government. There's discussion over what public safety entails. Um, cracks on sidewalks and street lights, and I don't diminish that, but I'm a traditionalist, and public safety to me is police and fire. The dispatcher is that lifeline, I believe, to that police officer in the field when he's out in the street alone at night making stops. Who's he talking to? The dispatcher. And you need to have the staffing in there, trained, qualified, capable people, well supervised. And I want you to have that. Uh, we're coming back, the mention coming back in September. If we start recruiting now, you have a job description, you put it out, you fly it, you test for it, you establish a list. Uh, we're three, four, five weeks doing that. We're into September. And at that time, my personal opinion, come back and w with the help of staff, figure out where that funding is going to come from. Mr. Healy's idea, city manager's another idea, any idea that would work to provide the staffing that you need, and I agree with you, you need it. But this particular position, as important as it is uh, to use a police officer to pay for it, is unacceptable to me. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank Mr. Mayor. you. Uh, who was it, uh, Gabe? Okay, I want to get in on a word here in a minute, but Mr. Kearney. How long would this recruitment take? If we were to, if we were to green light you tonight, how long does it take to, to fill this position? We're going through post-background, all the, all the different things you have to do for this position, whatever it is, how long from green light to that person is sworn in and, and, and on payroll? You talking about dispatch supervisor? Yeah. Uh, two to three weeks. It's in-house, existing staff, it's easy. We need the authorization, whatever you do, regardless of the funding piece, we need authorization for the position. And then we can figure out the, the money piece. Without authorization for the position, I can't do the green light go. So no matter what we do, even with the nine, I still got to identify one of them as a supervisor. And then um, whatever exercise we go through beyond that, if uh, this item's not supported as far as the funding mechanism, we would come back. So, uh, another question in that same vein. I, I know. Uh, um, Firefighters, they, they establish a list, right? I'm assuming police officers, we do the same thing, a hiring list. Mm -hmm. So do we have a hiring list set to go where you have you know, three, four, or five candidates on that list that you could do a chief's interview with and offer a job to fill the, to fill the police officer position? Yeah. We are, we, that's already in place. So we, have a, we have an ongoing list. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, getting that filled. We've got a handful in background right now. We'd probably be probably four to six weeks out to fill that uh, vacant, current vacant position. 
Thank you. This is a public hearing, so I want to open it up for public comment, make sure that we give the public an opportunity. I don't have any speaker cards on this item. Is there anybody from the public that wishes to address the City Council? This is on item 5B as in boy. Step forward and do it now. Good evening, Mr. Drummond. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. My name is Dan Drummond. I wasn't planning on speaking on this, but since you invited the opportunity. Um, I've had my issues with Chief Williams. I don't think there's any surprise with that. But I have to say, when the chief is coming to you and he's telling you that this is what I need and this is how I'm going to fund it, I can't believe that any of you are saying, we're not going to give it to the man. He's your chief. You hired him, for better or worse. You need to listen to what he's telling you. You don't listen to the POA. I know they're contributing to your campaigns. This is the man who makes the calls. This is the man you need to listen to. Thank you, sir. Anyone else that wishes to address the council? Okay, so, uh, you know, we've talked about looking for the money inside the fire department or inside the police department. Uh, and we, <laughs> I didn't hear what you said, Chief, but... Yeah, that's that is where I'm going. For the record, you're a we, giver. I'm happy to go to the fire department if we. Well, me too. Needed. For the record, me too, Mr. Mayor. Uh, let me finish, oh, please. Uh, what do I say? So, uh, last time we added this up, 76% of the budget was for public safety. It was for police and fire, uh, and the chief is here. Uh, uh, the situation that happened one time before in this community where th there was a reduction in the minimum staffing requirement at the fire department, and admittedly that's something that would have to be bargained for in collective bargaining. Uh, but we are up against it, and we are compromising the police department and have compromised the police department while substantially the fire department has been able to stay almost whole in providing services while they still have needs themselves for equipment and whatnot. Uh, so it, it, it's not that they've completely been off the hook because they haven't. But there's not very many other alternatives to lower operating expenditures in this community at this particular point in time. And Mr. Healy references that he's not as concerned about uh, the pace with which the reserves are replenished as he is the direction but what we have to look at is that the direction flips upside down in the very near future because of costs that we know are going up. It's defined for us. CalPERS has changed their investment rate of return assumptions, which has a furthering compounding negative effect. The smoothing effect that helped us through the rough times at CalPERS will come and punish us now because we'll wait for the new numbers of the recovery in the stock market to be factored in. The actuarial tables were too uh, short in terms of men's lives. And so we will pay more just because the actuarial tables have now become updated to what they think is accurate. So the obligation is going up, healthcare costs are going up, we know that our fixed operating costs are going up, and they're gonna go up faster than our revenue. We don't have to go bankrupt as a city. It would be an inevitability that would be chosen by the inability to move the ball in collective bargaining. The vice mayor and I, we went out to Fairfield and we talked to the folks in Fairfield and we'll get into uh, a polling for revenue augmentation. 
and the sacrifices that were made in Fairfield predominantly have already been made in this community. Our workforce is not overpaid and overcompensated, especially when you put it up to a scale against other communities and other areas in what they receive, and that's particularly true in the everyday worker in the AFSCME uh, department. And it's also true that our police and fire make a considerable contribution to their own pensions, unlike many communities. So we've gone an awful long way. And without help from bargaining units, we've gone probably as far as we can get. And today we're sitting here listening to a police chief tell us, replace this hole in the dike and we'll worry about the hole that's springing up over uh, in the vicinity later, but he can't use his resources effectively in the field unless we get a good communication path. So personally, I'm ready to move the item. I'm ready to approve the item the way it's presented. I'm, uh, but I don't know if there's four votes for that, but we'll find out shortly. And I'm ready to trust that somewhere, because public safety is important, down the road, one of the places we need to look for revenue savings is internally outside of the police department, but inside of public safety. And it's from our friends in the bargaining unit at the fire department that did it once before and willingly reduced minimum staffing requirement from 14 to 13, and that gave us breathing room on overtime costs. And just with that breathing room, by sometimes going one man short in the fire department, we can more than afford this position and we don't have to sacrifice the police department. So it would be inaccurate to think that the police department isn't paying the price for keeping the minimum staffing at the fire department. Uh, that to me would be uh, a, a myopic analysis of what is going on with cash flow obligations here. Mr. Albertson. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, I don't disagree with Mr. Drummond. The police chief has come and given us a presentation. He has asked for a staffing, and I want him to have that staffing. But I'm not going to do so at the sacrifice of my personally at the sacrifice of another police officer when one in five have already been taken off. Uh, that's not acceptable to me, and uh, I think the safety of the community is important as it is to Mr. Drummond. So I'm uh, I'm looking as this recruitment process. The chief says two to three weeks. We'll be back our next meeting September 9th. Uh, that staff has a chance to, to look at some funding options for the position. Uh, to come back again in that time when we have a person ready to hire, and I'm prepared to authorize tonight the position subject to funding. Because uh, I agree with you, you need it. Uh, I, I didn't think that cutting it was a good idea when that was proposed. But in two or three weeks, we come back to our staff. We have a funding thing. We talk about it then. If this is what it's going to be, a loss of a police officer, that can be part of the discussion. I'll tell you that I probably won't vote for it then if that is, if that's the only uh, solution. But I, I think there should be some other funding opportunities available. The mayor's mentioned one. There's, I'm sure, others out there creative people can come up with. So I look to staff to solve the problem. But I'll give you direction to go ahead and unfreeze the position, reallocate the position, to have the supervisor. I would vote for that in a heartbeat. Mr. Danley is doing some reading before I get to Mr. Healy. Is there something germane, Mr. Danley, that you'd like to interject here? 
Uh, no, Mr. Mayor, thank you. I'm just looking at the, the see the way the resolution's couched and getting ready for what the the council direction is. Thanks. Okay, uh, Mr. Helia, did you want to pipe in here? Yeah, a little bit. I, I mean, I think we've batted this around for a bit, and I think we've probably gotten as far as we're going to tonight. I don't hear four votes for the measure as, as presented, um, but I think staff has direction, um, um, and, and I would hope this comes back in very near the very near future at the next meeting with uh, well, I'm with, not, with I'm a funding support that people, people, people will actually support. But, you know, it, we can circle back to Mr. Albertson's point about authorizing subject two. I think the mayor made a motion, and I'll second it. So, um, if, uh, I, I mean, we could have a vote right here. I'll give the chief the tools he's asking for to work with, and I got a second from Councilmember Barrett. We can have more discussion, or we can vote, and uh, and I can call a special meeting and will on this subject if the issue is solved uh, before September 9th in the event this fails. Uh, I haven't done that in uh, seven years of being mayor, but I will on this because I think the time is of the essence here, uh, and if, uh, if that's what it takes to give the chief the tools he needs to work with, I'm willing to do it. So we got a motion by Barrett in a second. Mr. Harris wants to have a message. Second, so discussion? Yeah. So if, this, if we vote on this motion and it happens to fail, can we do a subsequent motion and authorize the position, which I think the chief ultimately wants, whatever our other decision is, I think he's leaving that up to us, obviously, but he wants to move forward with the dispatch. Could we then have a subsequent motion um, to authorize the position contingent on coming back to us on this maybe the September 9th meeting for the financing plan because I think that the, the there's a lot of cobbling together of dollars that were identified but just needs to be put into a staff report and outline um, I think there are some opportunities here to pay for that position um, in this in this year and then it obviously would come back in our our mid-year budget review and then obviously in the outline years we can discuss that as well and I know that Mr. Healy spoke earlier about the reserve issue as well and I and I, I understand what he's trying to accomplish there as well and I think that that can be in part of that conversation um, so if it and that's why I want to make sure with the city attorney is if the, it failed that's on the floor now if that failed can we subsequently come back with another motion let me just ask you this if that will accomplish the uh, mission for the police chief I'll let it go and allow amendment to the motion and we can do that I have no interest in ripping apart the council or creating a, a, a controversy that doesn't have to exist what I want to know is that if that will meet the needs of the city I'm willing to do it otherwise I'm willing to get voted down on it uh, if we're missing the needs of the city in this critical area mr. Brown uh, mr. mayor the uh, the resolution that's in front of you doesn't speak to funding of any kind or the keeping open of any vacancies as a financing tool it simply authorizes the the position that the chief is seeking and it would allow him to to proceed you know, I, I don't know how four of you will vote or won't vote, but I think our direction here is pretty clear in terms of what it is you're looking for uh, when we come back the next time around. And I, and I don't think these two things are, are mutually exclusive. I think if you can go ahead and pass this this evening, we can get back and tell you how we expect the ongoing funding to look. I, I think so, too. I, I think that we don't need a lot of political gesturing up here. First, Councilmember Barrett, and then Mr. Harris. Um, yeah, I think... Um, oh. Um, I, I think that if we have our vote, whether it goes up or down, and I hope it goes up, I hope we support the chief, um, there's no reason why what Mr. Harris suggested can't come back on the 9th, because I, I, as I was going to make pretty much the same point, 
that funding isn't isn't really part of what this resolution is so it there doesn't really need to be a subsequent motion there could be an amendment to our September 9th agenda is what there could be Mr. Harris and to follow up and I agree with what was just said because hearing the clarification from the, the city manager that he needed this is just the dispatcher position and you'd have it sounds like you would have direction to come back on the September 9th with that that funding piece That's how I'm taking it. Okay. Mr. Carty. So if we go back to the question I asked of the chief uh, a while back about the time for how long it would take to recruit a new police officer, that September 9th period is well before the time it would take for him to recruit someone and get all of the background stuff done. So what I'm suggesting, and I think I'm hearing other people suggesting or agreeing with, is that we don't freeze this position that we just come back with a funding plan of how we're going to pay for all both of these positions so that we aren't preventing another police officer from being hired if if anything we're just going to delay it if that a week or two uh while we come up with the funding plan for both these positions okay so the chief's got to like actually his position because he was presenting an option that he didn't want to implement anyway so we're going we got a resolution here that uh, proposes unfreezing this position before us and we've got direction to the city manager and the police chief to come back with the funding mechanism that will keep the police personnel in that category at 62 and so with that we've got a motion that I made and a second by council member Barrett and I think the issues uh, are in the process of being resolved uh, so with that, we'll vote by the lights if that's okay. Mr. Healy. I, I'm, I'm even more confused than usual because we have a staff report that talk, talks, spends the entire time talking about reducing the number of sworn positions from 62 to 61, and now we're saying never mind. Um, and I, I just don't get it. Um, but, but I, I, you know. You're getting what you wanted. Well, it would be a lot easier if, if, if the document was written uh, consistent with what, what the resolution um, says, and I'm trying to figure out why it isn't. Um, so I'm trying to figure out what the budget implications are for what we're being asked to to do. Is is the department going to go ahead and recruit to fill the the final officer position as well, or, or to fill that position? Because I think that's, you know, essentially frozen not at the council level, but at, at the management level. So the dispatch supervisor is a position that heretofore didn't exist. So we're asking for a position allocation. The question now becomes the funding piece, which is clear we won't go to the 62nd vacancy to get there. We will find a, a, a different funding mechanism to accomplish that. Right, and what I'm, so, okay, so you, you fill the, the dispatch supervisor position internally, then you need to find another dispatcher right. behind that person, and so I get that. and. I guess that's a few weeks as well, but, but the question is, are you going to proceed to fill the vacant officer position? Mr. Brown. Uh, I would not fill the vacant officer position until we have a funding plan put together to make sure that we can afford it through the remainder of the year. I mean, I think we can get to a place where we can make some kind of a conditional offer to somebody as long as they understand that the, the financing piece still hasn't been approved by the city council. But if we don't have the ability to say we're going to end the year in balance, that's not a hiring decision I'm going to make. 
Okay, well, it, you know, it sounds, with all due respect, it sounds like, you know, it's kind of a de facto reduction from 62 to 61 until something else changes. So I, I think you can put lipstick on a pig, but no offense to the officers. Um, but that's not what we're, we're trying to, to get here. Um, and, and I would just prefer to, to table this thing and bring it back as a single package that actually addresses the issues. All right, so we've got a motion and a second. And without further discussion, we'll vote by the lights. And the motion is defeated four to three with council members Harris, Albertson, Healy, and Miller in dissent. Sorry, Chief. Mr. Mayor. Yes, sir. I have a subsequent motion that we authorize the position and come back with funding uh, authorized staff to come back with funding at our September meeting that doesn't include the reduction of a police officer. I would say that, that. that there's some other funding source made available to fund this position. Again, I want the chief to have the position he needs to have, but not at the cost of a police officer. I would second that motion. Okay. Um, if there's, I don't think we need to discuss this. I think everybody gets the issues. We can vote on it. We can vote by the lights. That's fine. And then we can move on with the people's business. Can I have a discussion point? Yes. Is, is this something we should vote on, or is this something that we should ask to be put on the agenda for the September 9th meeting? Mr. Danley. Um, Mr. Mayor, I'm, I'm just... Um, the, the the resolution as presented is silent on how it's funded so all it does is um, is approve the um, the um, activation of the position um, so it's it it serves whether that that issue is resolved or not resolved um, and I think the reason why it's not addressed in the resolution is it, it doesn't take an action to have a vacancy um, so and I'm not trying to be argumentative when I say that it, it just it's just the structure of these actions and, and I think that's why it's not presented as part of the action but that it's emphasized in this in the staff report so there's no you know so it's very obvious what what the funding plan was and it's clear what the feedback is with respect to that funding plan so I'm, I'm to be honest I'm a little confused this resolution works for that proposed action um, and it seems like there's um, well let me make it clear the to the community here um, this is silly season it's unfortunate that we've started silly season uh, so early when the election is not till November of 2014 but uh, plain and simple, this is absolute silly season. And so uh, this resolution would get the people's business done. Uh, but we're playing politics up here. And we're pretending there are those that support the police department and those that don't. Uh, I want to give the chief the resources that he needs. And this is a vehicle to get that ball started. Uh, so with that, we can play all the games we want. I'm willing to support uh, the motion that was made. I don't, you know, it's just silly season. That's all that's going on here, Mr. Danley. So the community needs to know that. So the community needs to know your opinion of what's going on, yes, sir. Yes, that's, that's not exactly. necessarily what's going on. Okay, Mr. Mayor. Noted. Yes, sir. So 
uh, it's my understanding that the motion that that the vice mayor made is to uh, approve the the resolution, but with direction to staff that it come back to us again with a clear funding plan. Is that correct? Or the position is actually filled, or does it? Do and that was before the position was actually filled was my understanding of the motion the vice mayor made the yes. motion and yes. I seconded the motion the exclusion of the of a police officer there exactly has to be another way to achieve the goal so my question would be for the the city manager is that direction on I mean is that clear for staff to move forward yes it is uh, however you know, and, and I don't want to prolong the conversation here. We need to put together a funding plan for this whole thing to work, and we aren't there yet this evening. Uh, Mr. Mayor, yes, sir. Yeah, so I'll, I'll support uh, the vice mayor's motion, but um, you know, it's unfortunate that uh, some people's tempers are getting short. Um, I, I do think that the council is, each of us in our own way, trying in good faith. To move forward for the best uh, of the community, and uh, I, I think some of the allegations that were made are uh, unfortunate, and I don't want to uh, respond in kind, but I could, and let's just move on. Okay, so it wasn't an accusation of a naked power grab or any such thing, and it wasn't said with temper. It's an observation. All right, so with that, we'll vote by the lights. Okay, so that carries to uh, prolong this process unanimously, seven to nothing. Uh, we're on to item 5C. This is a discussion of possible action on approval of a letter to Senator Feinstein and Congressman Huffman opposing the Dry Creek Band of Pomo Indians request to have 277 acre site immediately south of Petaluma taken into trust. Also, Senator Boxer. The, the letter Senator Boxer as well. Yeah, the letter I modified the letter after you saw it last time, and it does include Senator Boxer as well. Okay, so I, I think it's just the the heading on the item that didn't capture. Well, I'm that. willing to move the mo move the item. I'll second. Okay, we got a motion and a second. I need to open this up to public comment. This is item 5C. Is there anyone that wishes to address the council on this item? I believe there is. Uh, step forward and do so now. Let's see, Juan DeLeo, uh, to be followed by Terry Hilton. Or in the other order, if you gentlemen wish. Mayor Glass, City Council members, Terry Hilton, Redwood Empire Business Association. We are 200 businesses here in the Redwood Empire. Some of the leading citizens of Sonoma County belong to our group. I've been getting calls all day uh, from our members that uh, read the story in the Press Democrat, and our, it's almost unanimous. Uh, everyone's uh, against uh, turning Sonoma County into Little Las Vegas and having a, you know, we got two casinos, we don't need more. Uh, we think that it would uh, cannibalize uh, uh, the other two that are up there and just make things even crazier. Uh, there's talk that there's going to be another one from uh, in Cloverdale, and that looks pretty solid. And, and then that's three. So we don't need this other casino. Uh, we're opposed to it, uh, and we ask you to forward that letter. Thank you. Thank you. 
Juan DeLeo, please. Hello, City Council members, Petaluma. My name is Juan DeLeo. I'm Vice Chair of Cesar Chavez uh, Memorial Committee. Our group is against the proposed proposal of Dry Creek Bond uh, Band of uh, Pomo Indians. Three very quick points and the last note. There's two casinos already. Uh, that's enough. Three is enough. I live in Santa Rosa. I would love to uh, leave out of Santa Rosa southbound without very much traffic. Um, I'm a filmmaker. I love Petaluma just the way it is. I love that it's peaceful and quiet. And for my last note, I'm creating a documentary, a short documentary of the landscapes and sceneries in, in the areas of Sonoma County all of Sonoma County. I think uh, Paluma has a rich history of all its uh, of all its information from from its chicken farms to to Victorian houses to the river, Paluma River, to the dock, uh, McNear's building, the, the old library, uh, all downtown architecture, uh, the sewing machine, the, the green mill, and the bowling alley. Thank you. Thank you. There's no other public comment cards on this. Is there anyone else that wishes to address the council on this item? Seeing no one from the public rise, public comment is hereby closed. Mr. Harris. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Well, this is a well-drafted letter, and I thank Mr. Healy for his efforts on this and his continuous leadership on this issue. And thank you uh, to the others that were involved, as the, uh, the mayor uh, suggested at the beginning of the meeting. And uh, I'm ready to join the efforts and, and sign on to this letter. Okay, so we have a letter. Is there any other discussion with that? Um, I believe Councilmember Barrett made a motion earlier, and we got a second from Councilmember Miller. If there's no other discussion, we'll vote by the lights. Excuse me. Motion carries unanimously, seven to nothing. And uh, with that, I'm going to begin the signing process because we need to sign this in a public meeting. That's my understanding. Mr. Danley, nods in agreement. Just pass the pen down so it's all in the same color ink. We'll be efficient that way. We don't get a, a, a separate pen for each yeah. letter. Yeah, right. <laughs> And I have a request uh, from Councilmember Kearney to take a brief break before we get to item 5D. So following the signing of this letter, we're going to, uh, will five minutes do it? We'll uh, take a recess until five minutes till 10, and then we'll come back and deal with item 5D, which is our final item of business. It was like, you know, I mean, I'm going to, like, take something and put it. Better, better. Okay, we're all here. If the clerk would like to call roll, that would be wonderful. Harris? Here. Kearney? Here. Barrett? Here. Glass? Here. Albertson? Here. Healy? Still here. Miller? Also still here. 
All right, and we're on to item 5D, and this is the final item of the night. This is a discussion regarding a possible tax measure for November 14th, 2014. Uh, tonight, we're limiting consideration to a yes or no on moving forward with uh, request for proposal for polling and gathering of information. Mr. Brown. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, as difficult as the conversation was around item 5B here a few minutes ago, I think that unfortunately really sets the stage here for the conversation that I, that I feel like I need to have with you about this item. Um, and so I, I provided in the staff report a couple of pages of background that remind the council as if you needed that reminding of all of the hard work that you've done over the course of the last five years to try to get the city budget in balance. And I think it's important because, it, you know, speakers earlier this evening were talking about uh, the budget pro balancing process and, and how mystical it appears to them when the council is suddenly able to get a, bu a budget balanced with all of these unmet needs hanging out outside of it. I think it's easy for the community to forget, particularly over five years, how much has really been done and, and what the impact is. Uh, Council Member Albertson a few uh, minutes ago was talking about it being one in five, you know, in the police department that they were down. Well, we're down one in five across the city in all of the departments that have taken reductions. You know, we were up over 350 employees. We're down around 280 now. Uh, and that's as a consequence of layoffs. That's a consequence of having provided people with uh, golden handshakes in order to uh, get them to voluntarily uh, exit positions so that we could leave them frozen and vacant. It's leaving other positions frozen and vacant. It's getting rid of most of the part-time positions that the city employed. It's contracting out a number of the services that we used to provide ourselves, including the entirety of your planning department, uh, a number of your rec programs. Uh, the list goes on and on as to the things this council has done and its predecessors in the last five years repeatedly to try to get ourselves to a place where the budget balanced. And, and so the result of that is a, a point really where every one of your departments is experiencing in some way or another the, the dilemma that you were dealing with here this evening with respect to having to make a choice between one need or another need, neither of which is really a discretionary kind of a decision for the department to have to make. Um, so over the course of the last couple of years, in particular, the council has come back a, a few times to the conversation around uh, raising some kind of uh, a tax, maybe that's a TOT or a sales tax, um, in order to help get ourselves away from where we are now and onto a, a better trajectory. And for a number of reasons, including not wishing to compete with measures that might be on the ballot or not having sufficient stakeholder support, uh, or I think maybe just the general feeling that maybe uh, the community doesn't believe the city has done enough to help itself along the way, both in terms of reductions but also in terms of revenue raising activities, uh, the council has not gone forward with trying to put a measure on the ballot. So this evening, I think we're at a different place than we've been for the last several years. Uh, the council has done what I think the council can do to try to change the revenue raising side of that. You have a couple of uh, retail developments, one of which is almost completed, many of which, uh, you know, the shops are open. Uh, another one that's getting ready to start its construction in the next couple of weeks, it's already broken ground. Uh, so, so it's a little bit different uh, you know, dynamic that we're dealing with. 
The problem, though, and, and you see this as we go through our five-year financial forecast updates, is that even though we've made these reductions and we've brought our budget down a third, we came, earlier it was talked about coming down from almost 49 to 32. That definitely happened. Uh, you know, we're starting to rise back up now. We're at 35. This is the, the general fund budget. And it's as a consequence of health care costs, employee health care costs. It's PERS uh, costs. Even though you've gone to a second tier of PERS along the way, these, these costs of doing business continue to rise, and they're rising faster than even the additional revenue that's being generated or we expect to be generated from these, these other projects is going to be able to, to keep up with. Uh, so you've seen those five-year forecasts move around from getting into balance to being really out of balance uh, or, or, you know, could be if we didn't make some, some corrections, all of which have been made, to this most recent set back in May uh, of this year that showed we're balanced for this year. We're balanced almost through the end of next fiscal year, 1415, uh, with about $140,000 deficit. But as you look out towards the end of your forecast, you know, you're back upside down again, you know, in several millions of dollars. And, and I think that's really where we can expect to find ourselves uh, as we go forward, unless the council finds a way of generating additional revenue beyond that which has already been approved. So over the course of this last year, we began talking with you seriously about this. You've established a goal uh, back in January to look at putting a measure on the 14 ballot. We've had a workshop a, a month with you here over the last several months, and the theme that runs through all of those things is we've got a ton of unmet needs and we don't have the resources to, to take care of those problems. So we've talked about stormwater, we've talked about streets, uh, we talked about what we needed in our reserves, and, and right now we're someplace around 3% in the general fund, and while that's certainly a margin of comfort we haven't had in many years, it, it's really not acceptable you know, to move forward as a business with the reserve that small. We've burned down the reserves in most of the other funds that have been helping support the general fund. We haven't been putting money into vehicle replacement, and these are all pipers that need to get paid at this point. Uh, there, there are going to be pressures that we really can't continue to ignore uh, now or in, in the near future. So, you know, we've had these conversations. That common theme runs through it. We really don't have the funding to cover our, our costs. Um, and a tax of some kind appears to be the answer to this problem. Uh, now, my thinking about that is, is sort of uh, crystallized a little as we've moved along. I've had an opportunity to talk to some of my department heads who've been involved in successful tax measures, talk to some of my fellow city managers. Uh, the mayor mentioned earlier, or maybe Councilmember Albertson mentioned earlier, a trip to Fairfield a couple of you made. You know, I'm, I'm collecting feedback from people about how a successful measure wants to look, when we should get started on that, and, and what the components of that are. Uh, and so while I have been I th myself thinking about trying to get the council narrowed down to those elements that you might want to put in a tax measure, at this point I'm thinking differently about that. And, and really I think that polling is the first step that we should get engaged in. And I think the polling results should inform what the measure looks like, what's funded 
by a measure, well, first off, whether a measure even flies, but if it does, what kind of measure, you know, you're going to have questions around length of, of term, what kind, sunset, no sunset, percentages, uh, what are you going to finance, is that going to be a, a special tax or is that going to be a general tax? I think all of those things, rather than us trying to decide those this evening, uh, really ought to be informed by the polling itself. So I've spent some time talking to a few consultants who do this kind of research work to get some idea of what uh, that polling might look like in terms of questions, uh, the number of questions, the number of people that would be contacted, what the statistical results, uh, you know, the uh, predictability of the statistical results would be as they would apply to a, a measure. Uh, and I think we're at a point now, right now, in the, in the evolution of this process where if a sales tax measure or a tax measure of some kind is something the council wants to do, the polling really ought to start right now. Uh, it would give us a couple of months to get that done uh, and return back with those results to a, a point later in this calendar year where the council can decide whether it should or can or wants to move forward with any particular kind of a measure and, and what that ought to, ought to cover. Certainly the need is there for something. Um, so one of the things that I really am looking forward to getting out of the polling beyond those kinds of answers is uh, prioritization from the public about what it finds important in the services that we're providing here. And I think a lot of the polling would be trying to identify that as well so that you as a council have data. I mean, I, I've heard tonight talking about what our highest priority is, uh, we really haven't had a process that allowed the community to, uh, to participate in that, that, that conversation in any meaningful way yet. I think we need to start having that conversation with the community, and this is a good way of allowing us to start that. It also provides us, I think, with a contingency plan uh, in the event that the results say that a sales tax or any other kind of a tax measure is not going to fly here, and I mean, and, and it's it's a big enough margin of loss that the council just isn't willing to risk it. At that point, I think that gives us information that we need in order to base the decisions you're going to have to make about how you get back in balance and stay that way, you know, as you move forward into the future. Um, so what I would like to do this evening with the council's consensus is initiate the process of, of that polling, and, and that would include doing a request for proposals from a number of these firms, or a request for qualifications, rather, uh, you know, soliciting from them what their methodology would be, what their costs are, you know, some of the things I've talked about uh, here uh, in terms of collecting information. You know, we think we're somewhere in the twenty to forty thousand dollar range in terms of the cost of doing that, based on conversations I've had. I'd like to try to get it done closer to twenty than forty, uh, and I am proposing to try to raise that money through through contribu contributions, since we don't have money in the budget set aside to do this work. Um, I've already started on that process. I already have one contribution, and I, I think before it's over with, uh, we should be able to achieve what we need in terms of financing this. Uh, we can tailor the, the polling down to the money that we ultimately get, um, or we can just make a decision if we don't get enough to, to not do it. But I think this evening what I'd like to have you say is, yeah, go ahead and start that process. And before the council says that, I want to hear from the public, because I need to open up this public hearing. Uh, Dan Drummond. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Again, uh, my name is Dan Drummond. I had some prepared notes, but they kind of went out the window in light of the discussion we've had this evening. So let me just make a couple of quick comments here. Uh, there's, there's no doubt that we have a funding problem here. I mean, the discussion tonight 
highlighted it, the 20% reduction in you know, employee staff over the last five years. But the elephant in the room that no one's talking about, and you sort of alluded to it with your two-tier plans, but nobody's talking about the strength of the POA and the fire unions and the contracts that you agreed to last year that required not a single concession from any current employee. You put a two-tier uh, two plan into place, but that's a decades-long solution, and that's going to put the burden squarely on the backs of our children and our grandchildren. Before you're going to have any credibility to go to the public and say, we need additional revenue, you need to show us that you have taken seriously the pension crisis. And when the POA comes in here or the fire union comes in here and says, we're not going to take any reductions in our compensation, we're not going to take any reductions in the pensions, and you agree to that, you don't have any standing with the public to go say, we need additional taxes. So until I, on behalf of the Taxpayers Association, see some meaningful effort made in that regard, we're going to oppose not only tax, we're going to, you know, we oppose your, your, your twenty dollars to $40,000 in polling. And we know who the contributions are coming from. They're coming from those same unions. You, know, you need to address the real problem here. You know, your constituency are the residents of Petaluma, not the POA or the firefighters union. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Brown, to date, have you received any contributions from the employee bargaining units? Uh, no, I have not. And you know, to be honest with you, I was not going to ask the employee bargaining units for funding at this time unless it was what we needed in order to close a final gap. I was going to seek private contributions outside of, of our employees. I, I want to say this to Mr. Drummond, and I want to say it to the community, and then we'll, I'll go to the council. Even though I, I've had my back and forths with our public safety unions, in Petaluma, the truth is is that they pay into their pensions, and they pay into their pensions more than other jurisdictions. Uh, I'm not sure that we're going to get very far in terms of pension reform with the current employees without a process that would lead us going to something called binding arbitration. I know Mr. Drummond is an attorney, so he understands that. Uh, but the binding arbitration process is, um, can be rather dicey because it's winner-take-all. It's baseball-style arbitration, and if people wonder how that's worked in baseball, look at the salaries that the players have been able to command. Uh, so the process really is one of trying to find mutual ground where you can deal with issues that provide some relief. I think the one area that I talked to earlier is an area that we ought to be able to get some relief in that could even be temporary but would give us some relief on cash flow issues and that is the minimum staffing level at the fire department to take it down from 14 to minimum staffing of 13. It's been that at one point uh, that they agreed to willingly. Uh, I don't know where you go for the savings otherwise there. Um, so anything that might be achieved with all of these contracts that exist and they're all negotiated in collective bargaining, those contracts stay in existence until through collective bargaining, the bargaining units themselves agree to release and let go of some of the benefits that they've won. And so it's a very problematic and it's not much of a realistic solution to the issue, but I am concerned about this community personally going forward because I know when Vallejo reached 80% expenditures of police and fire in their general fund, they went bankrupt. 
and we've approached that threshold and we may exceed it uh, in the future if there isn't something that happens for an adjustment. And that's why earlier I said we don't have to go bankrupt, but we may very well go bankrupt if we don't find a path to deal with these issues. Uh, I'm more than willing to see this thing polled. I think that Mr. Drummond brings an issue of doubt in the community about who would be funding these. I don't believe it will be our bargaining units. Uh, I believe that we would be well served to disclose at the time that we go forward with a poll, if we do go forward, the funding sources. Because I think that will clear up the answers and transparency here will be our friend. And perhaps we can even make a case at the end of the day, if that's where the, the facts take us and the polling results take us, that the community will buy in that this is the need. I, I'm skeptical that the community will buy into it. But I'm certainly willing to poll to find out, because I'm not a soothsayer. So I'm going to go Council Member Miller, then Mr. Healy, and come down this way. Um, I would support going ahead with the polling uh, at this point. I, I think the polling was very helpful um, in terms of Measure X and the information that we got um, from the polling in that, and it really kind of gave us what we needed to, to decide to go forward. And although we didn't prevail, we got pretty close. And so, um, you know, I, I'm fine with, with going ahead and doing the polling. I think we're going to have to do something, and we need to know if the community will um, – will will tolerate attacks or not so that's that's my two cents on it before i get to mr healy um I, mr drummond filled out a speaker card and i'm assuming that that's it for public comment but i need to ask real quick is there anyone else that wants to speak to this issue seeing no one rise and have no other comment cards public comment is closed on the item mr healy um yeah thank you um i uh, support the manager's uh, recommendation to, to proceed with uh polling um you know, um, I was, uh, Ms. Miller's consultant and mine was doing polling uh, during the uh, council election last year, and I know there's been some skepticism about robo-polls. Um, they were pretty darn accurate, actually, in the, out in, in the outcome, but I know for an initial poll, um, we, we need to, to have something more in-depth to, to get a baseline and, and, and probe different issues. Um, Measure X actually probably won with the day of vote. It was killed by the uh, the early absentee votes um, because the campaign did was able to ramp up a little bit towards the end. Um, and you know, I, I I certainly think every voter is very well aware of the issue of um, municipal pension costs. Um, but nevertheless, if you look in our region. Um, most of our neighboring cities have been successful with, with tax measures, um, most if not all of the sales tax variety, um, Santa Rosa, Runner Park, Katati, most recently Sonoma, uh, and then to the south of this, Novato and San Rafael, all of whom have some pension issues very similar to our own, um, and yet the voters were willing to, to dig into their pockets to provide meaningful um, uh, upgrades to, to community service levels. Um, I, I do think, and the manager hit this one um, uh, very well, that w some of the feedback I've gotten in the past is, you know, City Hall, you need to do what you can to help yourselves before you come and talk to us about about doing this. And now I think we have um, a really good story that we, we have done that with the two shopping centers, one of which is opening and the other of which is under construction at this point. Um, 
you know, I do think it's it's worthwhile to, to test the the general sales tax, the special sales tax, the the locked-in formula versus the the more um, general list that um, would would allow uh, uh, it to be passed with a majority vote. Um, I, I support looking at a, a, a parcel tax. I don't think you're going to find that kind of support for a parcel tax, but it's it's helpful just to to have the conversation. Um, I know there have been members of the council in the past who have advocated for for TOT, um, and and you know I don't know quite how to deal with that issue at this point because the kinds of numbers we were talking about for a TOT increase in the past, uh, a two percent increase would give us about two hundred thousand dollars a year, which um, is not terribly meaningful. And and the last time we had that conversation. The, t the hotel industry in town came to us and said, you know, please don't do that. We'll, we'll grow the $200,000 organically. And they've pretty much come through on that promise, as, as far as I can tell, although that wasn't really addressed in the staff report. Um, but uh, a half cent um, general sales tax, on the other hand, or a half, half cent sales tax measure would, would generate something in the neighborhood of $5 million a year. So I'd hate to see polling that equates a half cent sales tax with a 2% TOT tax because the amount of benefit they do bring to the community are just on different planes. Um, we, we could do some really good things for the community with an extra $5 million a year and, and, and improve service levels in, in a variety of ways and in ways that people would notice. Um, so I, I'll, I'll stop there. I just say that um, I hope the poll is open-ended. I hope we um, test all the ideas that are out there so that as, as, as a community and as a council, we can come to consensus on, on what we should be doing going forward. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I, too, I'll support the manager's recommendation and do the poll, and however that's constituted. I, th I think uh, I had the opportunity to go with uh, Mayor Glass to Fairfield and listen to their success story, what they did uh, three years ago in passing a special tax and what it entailed. And uh, I would look forward to that endeavor here. A lot of work involved, but it'd be, it'd be an interesting exercise if we had any indication that the community would support it. And toward that, I'd say education is the big component. The community needs to know that this is where we are and we don't come here arbitrarily or capriciously. This is a necessary issue that needs to take place. Um, there is discussion about, obviously, Mr. Drummond mentioned it tonight, uh, the uh, retirement for public employees, uh, the city of Petaluma, uh, all their employees pay their own retirement benefits, uh, their share of the benefits. The, there are other jurisdictions where the jurisdiction plays both the, the employer's side and the employee's side. That's not the case here. The employee pays their own side. Uh, we had a second tier that we started uh, where they, we added five years to uh, the retirement age and a three-year average to the uh, retirement figures and calculations. And subsequently, in January of 2013, uh, the state enacted their uh, pension reform where they added another two years. And uh, instead of uh, uh, formally, it was 3% at 50 for public safety, 3% uh, a year retiring at age 50. Uh, and to now it's it's a uh, uh, 2.7 percent with the maximum retirement or an early retirement 
minimum of 57. So seven years to the retirement. Now will that recreate an immediate savings? It will not, but over time it will, and as I've advocated, the long-term sustainability of, of uh, the pension has been the issue, and I think the city has taken steps. We need to educate our community toward those steps that are being taken. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you, uh, Council Member Barrett. Okay, well, um, I guess I'm still, uh, I, I don't want to prejudge where this is going. I, I do support the idea of polling, but I have a lot of questions about the polling. And, you know, in this request for, for um, qualifications, I really think it's important that whoever you choose or we end up choosing as a city if we go this route is um, someone who has polled successfully you know that they're you know they've made polls and then what they polled actually came true uh you know i think that there's a lot of people out there who poll but that doesn't mean they're good you know a lot of people uh have wish fulfillment and so they ask questions in ways that they think is going to get them close to the answer that they want to hear and that and we've seen we've seen campaigns crash and burn around that I don't really have any personal experience with polling. I've never done it. I've only answered answered polls when they get you on the phone. But um, you know, I, I really that's really important to me. How the questions are structured is really important. Who is going to ask those questions? Is there going to be a subcommittee about what how those questions will come forward? I don't think, I think uh, Mr. Healy uh, used the term open-ended, which I think is correct, but, but then the examples he gave were very closed. You know, he said, well, I don't want to put a TOT tax on because that'll only give us so much, and then, you know, parcel tax probably won't work, but sales taxes are pretty good. You know, maybe we're talking about a package. Maybe we're talking about some kind of thing like a utility tax. Like when we were reading the, uh, the staff reports, on our workshop on um, the storm drain, uh, you know, stormwater, they talked about how several districts had combinations of how those things were paid for. And, you know, that's a higher level of thinking, and that means that, you know, like uh, Vice Mayor Albertson said, education. But, um, you know, if there's an appetite out there for people to get problems solved, and they identify those problems, then the question, you know, and this might be a two-stage or maybe more stage um, process of asking, what is it you want done? How much are you willing to pay for it? And how are you willing to pay for that? You know, I'd be very happy, as everybody knows, I mean, you know, I've kicked this horse many times, you know, to have visitors pay maybe it's $300,000 a year, but $300,000 a year is not chump change and it can if it's a stream it can be used to bond something larger if you know you're going to get that money in every year you can use that as a as a guarantee on a bond so you know that that shouldn't be um just kicked aside because it's not five million dollars everything counts and we need to see what is there an appetite for in our community if there's an appetite for anything mr kearney uh, so, like the other members of the council that have spoken thus far, uh, I am in agreement and in support of, of this uh, going forward. Uh, Vice Mayor Albertson did bring up an important issue on this, though, and that is the 
education piece and and, and I think one of the things that's going to be important is that we do work on educating the public about some of the issues and I think that's been kind of the point of our workshops that we've been having in addition to enlightening us as to these specific issues also kind of shining the light uh, for the public on that. Uh, that being said, uh, we currently have a transient occupancy tax uh, committee uh, which uh, I'm a member of and I don't think we've ever met that I'm aware. Um, but if we were to, you know, kind of reshape that committee's focus to helping to work on the this tax issue as a whole, uh, I think that might be advisable to to work on some of the issues of how do we educate the public, uh, what is the breadth of of issues that we're looking at when we're going forward with this. Uh, that would be re my recommendation because uh, we are going to have to do uh, a pretty. Uh, uh, pretty good job of explaining to the public what's going on. I know I get questions uh, about, you know, budget issues. You know, why don't we just do X, Y, or Z uh, on a regular basis? And trying to help the public understand what our restraints are as far as money is concerned, uh, what it is we actually have control over or don't have control over. Um, you know, those are things that it, the more education, the more the information we get out there, the better. Because uh, not everyone watches uh, our, our meetings uh, or comes and attends in person. And so, uh, I, you know, we do need to do some of the heavy lifting ourselves. So, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Harris. I'll support the uh, city manager's recommendation. I think it's important to, to go forward with the polling, and obviously he's already spoken to you know, getting the monies uh, privately. Um, I think Councilwoman um, Miller's perspective on this is very interesting because she was deeply involved with Measure X, and I know it didn't wasn't successful, but it still got 62%, and that's deemed successful in terms of what we're, seems like what we're trying to accomplish, depending on what the polling says, of course, and what type of tax. Uh, but I think we can learn a lot from what was learned in that process. I think information is going to be very key to this and I think to get that information um, we need to do the polling to move forward um, I think one of the all the components have been talked about from sunset clauses how long the percentages but the one thing that we haven't really touched on was just an oversight committee of some sort and how that would be configured and hopefully that would be part of the polling or discussion when it comes up to have the appropriate oversight com um, committee and who comprises that and is it taxpayers groups is it chamber is it citizens and who, who comprises all that so that's a, another component will be interesting but I do support uh, in the, this first phase of moving forward to the polling. Okay. I, I support doing the polling. I want to see what evidence that brings back, but I think we do need to know what all of the options are, and I would not poo-poo $270,000, uh, which was projected from transient occupancy tax in 2012, and as Mr. Healy mentioned, the occupancy rates are up more, so that figure would be greater. Uh, we just had a lengthy knockout session uh, on a lot smaller sum, uh, so I would say to uh, uh, you know, our community, I think we ought to know if that's an option. I, th I think you really will learn valuable information because if people are not willing to support a TOT, I mean, that would tell you that there's not really any tax that they'll support because I've talked to other communities that have passed TOT taxes and they've told me uh, their summation of it is it is what they would call a no-brainer. You put that out there and the voters will approve it. Uh, I don't doubt that the special interests that own the, own the hotels don't want it. That's clear. 
Um, doesn't mean we shouldn't find out what the margins are on that type of tax because the information will be valuable even if we don't go that route. It'll tell you the maximum number of people that would vote to tax someone else because that's how the voters will predominantly look at it even though the hotels will say the tax is paid by the business community. The voter predominantly lives here and doesn't stay in hotels, doesn't consume them. They pay that tax when they go elsewhere and I think that the voters will want to see people pay that tax in Petaluma. So I think it gives you a high end on the maximum number of people that will support any kind of tax. Um, so with that, I, I look forward to the information coming back, uh, and I look forward to more discussions on this, and we can talk about the shape of it all when we know what the facts are of what the voters uh, uh, might be willing to support, because we've done a lot of talk up here about educating the public. The purpose of the poll is to educate this body. It's a two-way street. And uh, so I'm looking forward to the polling results uh, when they come so that I can get educated on where the voters are. Um, with that, do you have enough direction for where you wanted to go? Anything else anybody wants to add? With that, I'll entertain a motion to adjourn. So moved. All in favor say aye. 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 We're adjourned. Thank you very much.